Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Mr. Antoine, and you are tuned into another episode of Access Granted. Um, shout out to my sis, Nina, the original party girl. Hopefully, she is on her way. Um, got a great guest in the building with us tonight, man. But first and foremost, it would be remiss of me, first of all, as a as a man, and second of all, as a hip-hop fan, to not start this off uh, paying my condolences, especially since this is our first uh, live show since the passing of one of the greatest hip hop artists of all time, my man DMX. Um, yeah, it's a lot that I could say about DMX, man. Um, every 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 time I think about him, the first thing I think about is that "Get At Me Dog" video with the black and white flashing lights. And just the raw sound that he had, and just the the time that uh, I feel like hip hop was was maybe trying to get into the shiny suit era, and everything. This dude came back, or this dude came out with just a real raw street image that was unlike anything else that was going on at the time. Um, he was definitely the head of the Rough Riders movement, man. Shout out to all of those brothers, man. But um. That, that's 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 a different conversation for a different show right now and i'm just going to say my condolences to his family um we all know that that dmx battled some demons man and um you know as as a person who never judges anything that another man is going through um we don't understand what he was going through throughout his career and definitely through the last couple of days and weeks before he ended up in the hospital but um, I think a lot of us were kind of like in that midst of Tupac when Tupac got shot and he was in the hospital for like a week. A lot of us were saying, oh, man, we know he's going to make it out. He's going to be fine. But um, unfortunately, um, you know, he, he didn't make it through. And, you know, the hip hop world is going through something right now, man. And there's not a there's not a guy or a person who was around during the quote unquote golden era of hip hop. Um, who, who can't say that they didn't love DMX or at least didn't respect DMX. You, you might not have been a fan um, for whatever reason. I saw some people posting some stuff earlier in the week saying, oh, you know, he, he, he fought dogs and all of this stuff. But this is a guy who every time he stepped on stage, man, he prayed for us even when we weren't praying for ourselves. Hmm. I've seen this guy rock a crowd of about 15 or 20,000 people with no hype man, just him and the DJ on the stage and literally shut the show down regardless of who was coming before, who was coming after. Um, not only did he make great music, but I think that he was one of the best live performers um, the game has ever seen. So, you know, we, we've lost a lot of icons in hip hop over the past however many years you want to go back. Um, and I definitely think that this guy has to rank right up there um, as far as the impact that he had in hip hop. He has to rank up there um, with some of the best. So um, again, my, my and, and he also has a Baltimore connection, which a lot of people don't know about. But, um, you know, at, at any rate, just uh, condolences to the family, friends, fans hip hop community, um, anybody that loved DMX, man. Um, 
that dude has some music, bro, that just that just really he, he can touch your soul and make you think and make you want to run to the Bible. But then he can also make you want to get up and party five minutes later. So definitely condolences to him. Um, also, shout out to my sister, Nene, the original party girl. I'm not sure if she's going to pull up on us tonight, but um, I know she has a hectic schedule right now as far as work is concerned. But um, without any further ado, man, I'm going to bring my guy up in the building, man. Um, Eat a poet MC, bro. Salute to you. Thank you for uh, for chiming in with us tonight, man. And it's, it's funny, bro, because when I... um. I, you probably don't realize it, but I've been trying to get you. I've been trying to interview you for a couple of years now. Um, yeah. yeah, ever since I had my Baltimore Flavor Radio show. Hmm. Um, I'm not a person that really wants to do, I don't really like to do phone interviews because I like to be face to face and at least be able to see the person that I'm talking to. Right. You've been in Philly for a long time, man. So, um, oh. Before I even go any further with this, hold on. Let me let me make sure she gets clear first before we bring on. But my sister Nina is in the building. But um, like I told you before we got on, um, I I highlight my our boy Akil Mazan. Shout out to him. And I was like, yo, make sure you let E know that I'm trying to get in touch with him because I definitely want to chop it up with him. So I'm glad that uh, we finally got this opportunity, man. It's funny because. When I first got on to you, bro, you were actually here in Baltimore mm -hmm. coming out supporting some of your events. And I remember like every every five or ten minutes, somebody was shouting out Torchlight. Yeah. <laughs> Torchlight Entertainment, man. And and there were some 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 dope events. But before um, before you get into it, because she looks like she's here and she's ready to go. My sister Nina, and she's home. Oh my God, she's home. She's in the house. She's not in the car at Park Heights. She's not parked at the Applebee's at Rice's Town Road Plaza. She's out there. What's up, sis? Your whole mouth. Hello. <laughs> this is, this is my co-host. Yeah, e, this is my co-host, Nina, the original party girl, man, and and and. The last couple of shows, she she could be found pulling up at a remote location anywhere on the west side of Baltimore. But I'm, it looks like she's actually in a building tonight. So happy to have you here, sis. Yes, yes, I'm glad uh, to be here. How's everything going on your end? None of you. It's fine. It's there fine. You go. <laughs> a lot going on beyond this square. I understand. Um, so, salute to you and, and all the sisters. Um. That were on Lakia's show the other day, holistically being um, the season four preview. I did get a chance to hop in for a few minutes, and it was it was from what I saw a really good show. So salute to you. You were um you were very transparent. You were very transparent. And I'll just and I'll just leave that as that. But um salute to you. But yeah, back to E. Um, like I said, when I when I got on to you, bro, first of all, you were living here in Baltimore and you you were putting on events with Torchlight Entertainment. Um, I'm not I can't remember because it was so long ago if it was just a monthly event or if it was like a weekly, biweekly thing. But um Akil invited me out to a couple of the things, man, and they were some amazing events, man. So first of all, I want you to talk a little bit about who you are. 
what you do, et cetera, et cetera. And then talk about those events that you were putting on back in Baltimore. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. You know, because uh, I remember you with the Baltimore flavor. I remember, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know for a minute. So it's a it's a pleasure and an honor. Um, so yeah, I'm Eda Poet MC, uh, performance poet uh, slash hip hop artist, all one and the same. When I do it, uh, yeah. So Torchlight Entertainment was one of the uh, first uh, promotional companies that I had running in Baltimore. And it was, you know, cause Baltimore has such a, uh, a live, live scene. You know, I just wanted to contribute some parts that may have not been there or to add on to what was already there. And so the, the piece that I kind of carved out for what I was doing was uh, a company called Torchlight Entertainment, wherein we would uh, try to expand the platform of spoken word uh, beyond just, the you know coffee house kind of vibe yeah. of poetry because this is needed you know that kind of that kind of vibe is needed but I always saw the potential for hip hop uh, being in the forefront of live entertainment because it's so substantive uh, you know you know I'm you know, I tell people all the time like the disclaimer is that I'm older than the first rap record that's the first thing so I remember. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember when hip hop came in, uh, doing a little research. Like hip hop had a ten year history prior to the first rap record, and you know it took visionaries to see it beyond just what was happening in the Bronx. That this is something that could be uh, given it the proper platform is something that could be a whole worldwide movement. And I saw the same thing with spoken word. What spoken word was at the moment was great and all, but I saw the entertainment value as well as the cultural currency of spoken word that it could be on bigger stages. So we used to do things like rent out uh, theaters, like where they had plays and we put on full, full blown spoken word performances. We would go to nightclubs where they usually would have like hip hop artists come and perform. We would put on full uh, spoken word concerts. Where we would combine, like, you know, the singers, the vocalists, the live bands, the hip hop artists, but put the spoken word artists on the same stage. And, you know, and the spoken word artists, you know, they did it. So I used to run, uh, I had like, I'm not sure exactly what time period you're talking about, but I would have uh, a weekly event. And also during the same time that we had weekly events, we would also do monthly events in bigger venues. So we kind of had like the weekly open mic type format that bled into a bigger production once a month or quarterly. You know, we did like, you know, big events, you know, Reginald F. Lewis Museum, several events there. Uh, uh, what's that? Uh, Club Sonar, Bar None, you know, in D.C. Like we, we did a lot of different types of shows. So, yeah. Oh, I, I remember. Um Every, I believe the events that I came to were smaller venues. There was one um, theater kind of setting that I remember coming to, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, I want to say that it was somewhere down in that, somewhere down in that Lyric and Meyerhoff area. Right. That was the uh, theater project. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right across the street from the Meyerhoff, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, 
actually those are some of my favorite shows because yeah. sometimes we would put on uh spoken spoken word plays uh you know anything i could do to put, put spoken word in the center of it you know i i did it so we had plays we had concerts we had we had all kinds of stuff going on out of the theater project i think yeah. i still owe them some money too so that's a whole <laughs> conversation <laughs> Yeah, we're not you can, you know. What I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I just re, I just remember coming out to those events, man, and and because I really just got into the quote unquote media game six years ago, the events that you were putting on was kind of my introduction to the arts scene in Baltimore. Wow! And then there was actually kind of a gap because you left, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. But there was a gap between the time that you left and the time that I started doing radio. But those those projects or those those events that you were putting on, they kind of in a nutshell led to me stepping into the radio realm. Wow. Because it showed me the talent level yeah, yeah. of yeah. artistry that we had here in the city. Yeah, give thanks, man. Give thanks. Yeah. Because that um, that was one of the reasons why, because you know my background, um, like you know I'm from West Baltimore, you know, you know Division Street and what have you, and I've always been interested in the arts, but I just never got a chance to, you know, as a teenager growing up, everything was like you know we had the talent shows at the high schools, you do to your community center, you know I lived around the corner from Shake and Bake, so we did events at Shake and Bake, we would do things at Harlem Park. Those are outdoor events. You know what I'm saying? Everybody that I knew in that community area, there was somewhere we could go there and perform and do things. But it wasn't until I got into my adult years that, you know, stumbling across uh, live entertainment, live arts. And then I realized for as small as Baltimore was, there's still like a gap of people knowing all the, all the dope things that are happening right in their city. Like right, you know, everything around everything in Baltimore is right around the corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's it's amazing that right in the middle of everything else going on, like at one point in Baltimore, when I left Baltimore, there was a live open mic, live band, live something happening every night of the week. Sometimes we as promoters had to meet with each other because like sometimes there'd be two different type of events going on the same night of the week. So we will coordinate, like we bring an artist in from out of town. It's like, look, if they coming in out of town, won't they hit my event Monday, hit your event Tuesday, Wednesday, we put them on somebody's couch. That way we can all pay less, pay them less for the one night. We pay them like, yo, you come to, you come to Baltimore, you could stay the whole week and do all these different events. You know, so we used to work out things like that. It was so much activity happening. So like you said, it's like one of the things I want to do with Torchlight is to make the live entertainment thing sexy to the average man that they want to come down and see what's going on. Okay. So with that being said, um, take me back a little bit. So was this, was this around the time when like Judas juke joint and all of those kind yeah. of things were going on? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, well, just give some years and things. Um, uh, Let's see, Judas Juke Joint. I'm trying to remember the, the Now Child Studio. Before it was, yeah, um, yeah Now Child. 
like, um, like we started throwing, like I would say like late 90s, early 2000s is when there was like an explosion of a lot of different events and things going on in Baltimore City. Um, but it was going on before then. Like I went to my first um, open mic poetry event in like, like 91, 92. And then there was uh, around 95, there was a spot called The Last Cafe. Uh, there was just a lot, there's a lot of underground activities happening. So when, you're, when I started Torchlight Entertainment, I started that in 95. So uh, around the time that you're talking about, it's probably late 90s, early 2000s could be, yep. Yeah. yeah, because because I, I started working at the state office building down on Preston Street in 95. OK. And I'm not even sure to this day how the hell I met Akil, but I right. met Akil some kind of way. And he's the one that puts me on that put me on to the Torchlight events. And then um, I'm not sure if you know Wombat. Yeah, Wombat. I know Wombat. Yep. Wombat. So shout out to Wombat. Yeah, shout um, out to Wombat. Long yeah, time veteran. Yeah, he and I for a couple of years. Um, we had a show called True School Flavor, and I think I remember that. Yeah, and we um we 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 it ended up being a Baltimore hip hop lesson every week, but mm -hmm. he used to always get on me because I wasn't aware or I wasn't on the scene, right? As far as all of that stuff that was going on hip hop wise, right? But that's why I say that the events that you were putting on introduced me to the art scene pretty much in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And it, again, it was kind of the catalyst for me going ahead and starting the Baltimore Flavor Radio show because I, I always tell people when I used to go to different cities, the first thing that they used to say, yo, is Baltimore the wire? Is it, right. you know, is, yeah. the, is the drugs really real? Is the crime really real? And I wanted to have a platform where we could really show people outside of the city that there was more to the city than just that nonsense that you see in the media, that we really got some dope. Like even up to this day, like um, this past weekend, I believe we had like two or three artists that won like national competitions. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the, the, the art scene as a whole is amazing here um, in the city, but I want to take it back even a little bit further because you said that you're, you're born and raised um, and I'm gonna call that the real West Baltimore, because down on Division Street, boy, it was a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on that I can remember yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Um, just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, and just um, what made you decide to go the route of getting into the poetry and the MC stuff. Well, um, well, as long as I can remember, I've always been interested in the arts and interested in music and things of that nature. Um, and it took on a lot of different forms, you know what I mean? At, originally, the first thing that I wanted to do, I wanted to be a singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was like, you know, by the time I was 12, I had written like hundreds of songs, like the lyrics to hundreds of songs or whatever. So that was just my thing. But the whole thing was, um, I thought songwriting more so entailed just writing the lyrics. When it came <laughs> to actually singing and lyric, you know, what's the melody? I'm like, uh, Whatever you want to put to it, my it's like you know. So I was good at the words, but the other parts of it, you know, because one thing about me in the arts is I, I'll always uh, fall back when somebody's doing something better than what I would actually do. Mm. So though I wanted to be famous as a singer and what have you, 
you know, by the time I reached middle school, high school, I would run into so many uh, singers, like uh, they could really sing. Like I went to, I went to Douglas and Douglas had a music career. Um, I'll hold that against you. Okay. Where you went, man? Where you go? Warburg, bro. Ah, oh, I'm gonna hold that against you. Okay, <laughs> shout out to the Brook. You know what I mean? Anyway, and, and, and we got this wildcat on here too. So, where you from? Where you go? She went to Northwestern. Oh boy, I'm oh. glad you know that, Twan. I'm glad North you know Western that. girls, I know about y'all. Anyway, yeah. You know. yeah, hold up, you got some stuff. They ain't lined line up. We wildcats. Yeah, yo, wildcats. Me <laughs> out. <laughs> but uh Douglas, we had a, a music careers um department. So when you went to Douglas, you had to be in some type of department, like what were you were you in? So I auditioned to be in the choir and I made it through. Um I can sing, but I can't sing, sing. But I would meet so many amazing artists. Um at that school, like amazing rappers, amazing singers, amazing musicians. Uh, even though like Baltimore, I mean, uh, Douglas had that reputation of being one of those wild schools. Yeah. The artistic side of things, like, you know, people took their art seriously. They were street dudes and street, you know, sisters or whatever. But, you know, the music and all that stuff, people were serious about that part. So I kind of fell into more of like, well, maybe, you know, I kind of got into hip hop more as a rapper. That was more my thing. And uh, after high school, uh, you know, I, I, I used to roll with a crew called the Mind's Eye Tribe. And we used to host a, uh, a open mic, a hip hop open mic, but we didn't, this is before um, we actually called these things open mics. It was a record store that somebody in our crew had. So we used to, we bought these records to sell, we, had, we opened a record store. And the thing about opening a record store is you got to keep buying records. So we we have money to keep buying records. The guy that invested in is like, I pay the rent on this thing, but I ain't going to be doing that. So we turned it into uh, every Friday, we have like a hundred hundreds of kids down there rapping. Uh, this is around the time I was like uh, 1920. This is back in 91, around like 91 or whatever. So we had an open mic, but it was a hip hop open mic. It's like you didn't come in and sign in on a list. It'd just be a DJ playing instrumentals. And we call it the Funky Bogard. Whoever got the mic, when that guy's look like he's about to finish, you're supposed to reach your hand out and get the mic. So <laughs> we did that. It was a big spectacle. And one of the guys that would come down uh, named Bashi Rose, he used to come down every week and be like, yo, man, y'all need to come to our spot. Come to our spot. It's a poetry spot. It's a poetry thing. And I'm thinking in my head, like, why do I want to come to a poetry spot? That sounds like, you know, what what is that? I, I, I couldn't imagine what that entailed. This is before this. You know, so it's like, you're talking like, all I know about poetry is like like Shakespeare. Like somebody's going to, you know what I mean? I didn't know really a working understanding of what, what poetry entailed. So eventually I went down there and uh, it was just a totally different vibe. Uh, where it's like they had a mic in the middle of the room and people were quiet and they listened to the person on the mic. Now as an MC, a lot of times like people were bobbed their head to the music, but I took a lot of time to craft my words and to say a lot of things. And I felt like people weren't really getting everything that I had to offer them by way of words. So I started going down to this 
um, spoken word, this open mic poetry thing and saying the same words and people were engaged. So from there I was hooked. So between going to that spot on, I think that spot was on Thursday nights, our spot was on a Friday night. I would go to the poetry spot and then I would go to the hip hop spot. So I started developing a style of writing that would work in a poetry spot and work in a hip hop spot. So that's kind of like where my style comes in. So sometimes it's a spoken word performance, other times it's spoken word with music and it's like I'm emceeing. So it's like a hybrid thing that I kind of developed since then. So which do you prefer? I don't have a preference because um, especially nowadays, because I still write, I still record, I still put out product. Um, one of the things that I think that both camps can benefit from is both. Um, I think there's something lacking in spoken word uh, when it comes to cadence and rhyme. You know, there's a lot lacking in spoken word because a lot of the spoken word I hear nowadays, it just sounds like a run-on uh, monologue, which is like you're talking. So I can't, you know, where's the, you know, where's the end lines, where's this? So the most, the best spoken word artists that I've seen are those who have like a hip hop background. And likewise with MCing with hip hop, especially nowadays, everything is about the cadence, but then it's like, you don't care about what they're talking about. So everybody got the same, most in popular rap music now, everybody got the same cadence. They're all doing that, wherein it's the cadence. People just zone out to the cadence, but they're not really writing with a lot of substance. So I think that hip hop artists could benefit from the substance of what spoken word artists are talking about and spoken word artists could benefit from the, the styles that exist in um, MCing. So my thing is kind of like a hybrid of both. I do both at the same time. Okay. Let me um, let me throw the name Mo Hammond at you real quick. My man, that and, uh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> man. That guy, let me tell you, man, I always say this, and I every time I get a chance to say it publicly, is he in the comments or something? Yeah, that's why. Okay. I'm if I, yo, I'm gonna say this about that, that guy. Um, I met him, I think I was like, what, 16 when I met him? Uh, and I think he's like a, a year younger than me or something, I don't know. But when I met him, that's the brother that kind of sparked uh, any level of like social consciousness in me at all. And he was a like a musician, musician. Like he plays guitar. I don't, I don't know what he's playing now. He's probably playing everything now. But when we were teenagers, this is the kind of, the kind of people that are in Baltimore, you know what I mean? He was teenagers, but he introduced me to a book called the, I think the Browder File. Um, and uh, even talking about Malcolm X and, you know, he was talking to me, talking to me and we were teenagers, we were like 16, 15 years old. And he sparked their consciousness in me. And as well as his approach to music, he was a guitar player. He was, you know, he understood music on a level that I didn't even listen to music that way. So I always credit him for changing how I even listen to music. I think he went to Carver or something. I'm not going to hold that against him, but... <laughs> yeah, right. See, now you put me on to some stuff because I didn't even know Mo played the instruments. Mo and I go back... Oh, yeah. Mo and I go back a, uh, quite a few years, man. Um, Back when Charm City Records was, yeah. was around and, and popping off. And um, yeah. 
we used to have a basketball team together. That's that's a whole other story for another day. And I'm trying to get more on my show one of these days because I didn't realize man, look, that he has. But. Let me tell you something, man. If you talk to this man, he's going to – first, the man in and of himself, he's a mind expander. He was like that as a teenager, yeah. right? So I see his Facebook posts now. Like, he he's not a regular dude. Let's say that. Right. That's, right. that's number one. You know what I mean? <laughs> and number two, music. Like, again, like I said, I haven't listened to music the same, you know, since our experiences as teenagers, the kind of stuff he was talking then about music. So he has a, a relationship with music from this, just my, my observation. He has a relationship with music. It's kind of uncommon. So if you talk to, I, I would love, let me know when you hand that brother on your show. I, I would definitely let you know as soon as he lets me know. Yeah, he's a serious um, brother, man. I'm but, telling you. That, the thing that I realized, and it, this was last, this was like before the pandemic hit in. There was a couple of posts that he would put up where he was hitting like different shows that were selling vinyl, mm. and this dude was going out. So apparently, Mo, yeah, so that you got a, a very extensive vinyl music collection. But um, I've been hearing some things on and off about you, bro, and I definitely, I definitely want to get him up on here. Yeah, he's a humble brother, man. He humble. Yeah. Yeah, and as a matter somebody else to like sing his praises, I'll, I'll yeah. be one of those dudes till the yeah. day I leave this. this and earth. as a matter, of, as a, as a matter of fact, he um the day that I finally get him on, um I'll send you the link, and if you want to just come in and chop it with him for a few minutes, we can. Hey man, I love that man because I'm I'm sure so much more I, I could still learn from that brother. I like learning from people. <laughs> and, yeah. You know the way the way that I've been able to, a lot of the things that I've been able to do throughout the years. You know, the older you get, the more grateful you become mm. with mm. everybody that have come across your path. So I don't really forget people. So who had an impact on me. So 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 at the time, at the time when he was teaching you, did you realize that you were being taught, or was it something? Yeah, okay, but it, and the thing is, it wasn't like no formal teaching right. thing. It's just, like right. we worked together. Like we was waiting tables at Shoney's. <laughs> together. Oh, oh y'all said Shoney. So that yeah. <laughs> this like I think it's like, you know what I mean, like 86 maybe or something. Yeah. 86, 86. You know what I mean? We, 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 yeah, we was waiting tables at Shoney's on Security Boulevard. You know what I mean? And we would talk about things and you know, I think we talked, we talked, we used to talk music. I was really our our connection, I think, was like we both were like like Prince fans. You know what I'm saying? And I was amazed that I knew a young black dude that knew how to play guitar. Like that was amazing to me. Think about that. Like I don't know his background of why this young dude was playing guitar, but he, he knew how to play guitar. <laughs> and he was into music. I don't, you know, I don't know why that was, but that was amazing to me. And to find somebody else that was like into music like I was, but then had so much to add, more to add to the conversation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So we were just regular dudes having conversation, but I realized I was being taught something because he knew things about things that I was interested in that a lot of people weren't interested in, you know, and, but he knew a little bit more about these things than I did. So yeah, I, I learned a lot. I knew I was being taught. You know what I mean? He was a cool dude. Oh, and he's cool. That was the other thing. He wasn't like no square or nothing. He was like, 
know what I mean? He's, you know, like I said back in the day, he was thorough. You know what I mean? He was thorough, like, and he knew this stuff. So, yeah. So, so in true in true Mo fashion, he said he's gonna come on the show eventually. But he said, "All right, y'all, that's enough about me. Get back to ease." Interview. Exactly, Z, that's how you do. <laughs> and that's, and that's so, so at this time, like, what's what's the vibe as you're as you're getting these events and you're getting into your whole mojo as far as poetry and emceeing? What's your, what's the vibe in the city like at this time, man? I'm telling you, man, I wish, and I, I used to say this back then, that I really wish we had more um, documentarians at that time. Like, I wish people had cameras and would document a lot of this stuff. Because at that time, it was amazing. I saw, I, I, I can say that like right now in 2021, the best performances that I've seen per capita was during that time period. Um, I saw some of the best artists I've ever seen, um, some of the most unique artists I've ever seen in my lifetime happen in Baltimore City. And the validation of that is I've seen some of these same artists on um, different stages in different cities. Like you just talked about the, the young people that won the, um, the the uh the slam competition, the yeah, slam competition. Yeah. Yeah. uh mecca morphosis uh lady Breon, like these spoken word artists for instance Slanks and hughes these are degrees of separation these are they were like children uh like in middle school high school when some of the artists would come to their schools or when they were old enough to actually come to the uh, open mic spots and what have you, they seen these type of artists. So it's like, this is a generational thing. It's not a, it's not a wonder to me that these same artists are winning all of these uh, accolades. They're, they're some of the best Pokemon artists in the country because Baltimore for years have had some of the best Pokemon artists ever. Bro, I had no idea, man, until I had no idea until yeah. I started coming out and I was just like, it, it's mind blowing, man. Yeah, it's I had an event. Um, one of the last events that I, I, I had in Baltimore, I ran it from 2007 up until even until the time I left Philly. Uh, it was an event called the Art of Conversation. Mm -hmm. yep. And Art of Conversation combined... Uh, um, open my, you know, poetry, whatever, with conversation. And when I moved to Philly in 2010, um, we had it in four different cities at the same time. So what we would do, uh, one Monday, we'd be in Baltimore. The next Monday, we'd be in Philadelphia. The next Monday, we'd be in Brooklyn. And the next Monday, we'd be in uh, Washington, D.C. So we had, like... Uh, Every night, every Monday of the, of the month, of you know, every Monday of the month, we'd be in a different city. We'd be in those four different cities, and so that was my opportunity to to pipeline some of the Baltimore talent to these other cities. Um, and every time Baltimore was in Brooklyn, or Baltimore was in Philly, or Baltimore was in D.C., people could see like Baltimore was killing it. Like you know, some of the yeah people would come. From different cities, they come to Baltimore. Baltimore is respected in live, in live entertainment art circles. 
Like the average person's gonna ask about the wire, but if they're tuned into the art scenes in their city, they know that Baltimore ain't nothing to be played with. As far as singing, poetry, rapping, musicianship, Baltimore makes his makes his mark known. All right, come on, Nina. I, I see you. I, I see the. So when you started, you mentioned that you wanted to be a singer, songwriter. Yeah, when I was a teenager. Yeah. And did you know you couldn't sing then? Uh, I, I I didn't know. I knew where I stood because it's not that I couldn't sing, but you lined me up with some of the best singers. You know what I mean? I wasn't one of them. What kind of singer are you? You're like what that we know? I'm pretty good. Like I can out key sweat, key sweat. I can, you know. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can do key sweat. Okay. But 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 here's the thing. Just like what I can't do is what nobody's been able to do. Key sweat like carved his space. You know what I mean? Key sweat ain't mm -hmm. Luther, but he's key sweat. Right. So can't nobody, right. he got his own vocal approach, songwriting. You're not going to, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? can't touch that either. Nobody cries better. You're right. Exactly. You're right. And it's funny because there hasn't been anything close to Keith Sweat. Exactly. Keith Sweat. Yeah. 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 Sweat. Right. You know, so He's if you even try to do Keith Sweat, all you're going to do is imitate him because you can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, right. yeah, you know, he gets going, you know. See you last night. You know, he gets that going on. You ain't got nothing coming. <laughs> that keeps what? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think. Is that a song? Come on, man. I want it. No, but you know everybody sings the other one. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of Keith. Keith's got some classics, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that Murray go around and yeah. Oh yeah. Keith has some classics. Anybody <laughs> gonna do that with Keith? But yeah, yeah. So you know. So how much? I stay, I stay in my lane. I stayed in my lane. You know, I realized like mm -hmm. by the time we got to the talent shows, man. Oh, that's so funny. At Douglas, when I was at Douglas, the first talent show I ever did, it was for the dudes. And we did Keith Sweat. I don't know why that just came in my head. We did go outside in the rain. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we did that. So it was like everybody had a part. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I have a personal question. Oh, I do. You know, it's a good one. I write poetry to a certain right. degree. But people say if you write poetry, you should be a songwriter. And I don't necessarily know if that's the truth. Is it? Nah. I mean, it depends. Depends on how you write poetry, you know. What I mean, because like the the misnomer that a lot of people have is that because it doesn't appear to uh, like a lot of people, they'll go to a poetry open mic and they'll be like, "Oh, I could do that," you know what I'm saying? And they just start writing some things down, and and sometimes you go to an open mic, somebody gonna clap for you because you may say something that they they want to hear. Like, if you get up there, like, you know, these niggas ain't shit, and da 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 like, yeah, girl, they might do that. I don't mean it's good writing. <laughs> they just agree with what you're saying. So sometimes with spoken word, because the sentiment is about people connecting with what you're talking about as well as what you're talking about, sometimes, you know what I mean, um, they're connecting with what you're talking about as well as the way that you're talking about it. You know what I mean? So one, one requires a lot of talent the manner in which you're talking about it. The other one just requires to have an opinion. So somebody may clap for your opinion, but they may not clap with your, your word usage. 
You know what I mean? So some people are very crafty with how they craft their words that they very well could be songwriters. You know? I think so. How do you convert a poem into a song? You how do what? you convert a poem into a song? Understanding melody. You need a hook. And things of that nature. Yeah. Because uh, one of my favorite songwriters ever, someone, Mohammed, as a matter of fact, introduced me to is uh, Jody Mitchell. I ain't gonna, I'm gonna leave you alone, Mo. I ain't gonna talk about you no more. I'm just saying, I wasn't aware of Jody Mitchell. Um, because I heard that Jody Mitchell was oh, one of the princes, never lied. yeah. Um, princess, um, yeah, that that Janet Jackson sample came from a right. Jody Mitchell song, yeah. So, um, I didn't know that was Prince's favorite songwriter, so I started looking into her after Mo was like, Yo, you need to check her out, and she started out as a poet. And then she got into folk singing. So a lot of her lyrics are very poetic. So she's very good at that. Like she so, had a line that said, um, everything comes and goes just like old lovers in styles of clothes. That's a lot being said right there. That's deep, yeah. Go ahead, girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So did we get to the part where you left us? No, we didn't get there yet. Hold on, we didn't get there. We didn't get there. Well, I'm good for now. I need to yeah, get yeah. Mo, Mo said Joni is fire. And shout out to my man C Payne checking in from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, word. That's what's happening on the show last week. But yeah, um, and actually, Nina, since you put it out there, we can go ahead and, and get to that part. Um, what played into the transition of you leaving Baltimore and moving to I met a, I met a woman. Oh, gotta do it every time. <laughs> I started singing cute sweat songs too. <laughs> <laughs> Merry go round. <laughs> but yeah, I met a woman. Because um, I used to perform, you know, I was all up and down the East Coast all the time performing. And I, I performed, I used to perform in Philly a lot. Because Philly's a lot like Baltimore, by the way. Yeah. So I always like um, the Philly audiences because they remind me of Baltimore. And uh, so I used to perform here a lot. She saw me perform here, uh, put an eye on me. And it was like, okay, yeah, all right. But she slow walked it for about a couple years. Because uh, I was already, yeah, yeah, she got me, man. Then she saw bread crumbing me on uh, Facebook, you know, dropping yeah. little hints. You know, you know, bread crumbing. So next thing you know, you're picking up the hint. And you all in the DM thinking you're doing something. But they already. Yeah, yeah, she already got me, so. There was no other reason I was going to leave Baltimore. But uh, yeah, so I, I left Baltimore, married her. And she's uh, one of my favorite spoken word artists, by the way, too. She's dope. Check my page. She just released a new uh, music video. She's dope. What, what's, what's her, her name? name? Lady Sarcasm. Lady Sarcasm. Oh, yeah. Related. Yeah. We, we, have, we have some open dates so we can get her up here, too, for real. Yeah, she's dope. She's pretty yeah. dope. So, so when you left us, did you uh -huh. pick up your promotion, your performing, or you totally did something else? Oh no, 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 no! I kept, I kept the ball rolling. Like I said, the first thing I did was continue um, because a lot of the, the Philly scene, a lot of the artists on the Philly scene would frequent frequent the things I would do in Baltimore, and already had a fan base in Philly because um, I had a fan base all over down the East Coast. So any city that I landed in, there's already a group of uh, there's an audience and a group of artists that I'm already been functioning with. 
So when I first thing I did when I got here, I continued uh, promoting uh, the spoken word event, the art of conversation. Uh, I've done a lot of things here. Um, like we had a radio show. We um, started a, a nonprofit arts organization. Uh, the latest venture, like we've done, a, we've done a lot of big shows. Everything I did in Baltimore, I did it here in Philly. You know, we rented out theaters, uh, big platforms. Uh, I linked up with um, uh, Mr. Kenny Gamble, uh, Philadelphia International Records from back in the day. Wrote all them OJ songs. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was a lot of, done a lot of things. And uh, the latest venture is um, I, I started the, the seeds of it in Baltimore of a, uh, a spoken word record label. And it came into fruition here in Philadelphia. So uh, we have a record label based in Philadelphia that, um, that we're making moves with. Okay, so put a pin right there because I want to talk about that label, but you also said that you started a nonprofit thing. And yeah. I feel yeah. like that's very important because as we know, they've pretty much taken everything out of public schools except yeah. for math and English. Yeah. So I feel like this, edu this, uh, this generation is really missing out on that connection, that introduction to the arts. Mm. Because in like in music uh, or in schools now, you pretty much have math, English, gym, and lunch. And everything, and you know, you don't you, there's not really a whole lot, especially in public schools, there's not really a whole lot of the arts being, you know, shown. Like I marched in the band in high school. Mm -hmm. We used to kill Douglas, but that's another story. That's another story for another day. But <laughs> Like even a lot of the, the inner city schools now, that music program is being taken away. They used well, to have poetry stuff at Walbrook back then. But see, the thing is, um, Baltimore, for instance, is a perfect example of, because um, when we were doing uh, spoken word at the like spots like Five Seasons and what have you, yeah. they would have school teachers in the audience. Right. And they right. would be like, yo, Right. Won't you bring, won't you um you know let me see if you can come and um do something for our kids you know what I mean that sort of thing right um, so, there's, so, there's so, in Baltimore right now so, there's organizations like Do More Baltimore that I'll do. Where, where they have uh poetry programs in all the schools practically um and the thing is that the arts and children connection uh, I think that there's more potential for it now than it ever was. Because wherein in I remember when I was in high school, it was being dictated to us how we engage music. Like you know, we had I was on the choir. We're singing Mendel. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I had no connection to Mendel. Yeah, I've been on those school choirs, bro. I, I yeah, get it. You know, yeah, we had the jazz combo. Right. You know what I mean? But the kids, you know, what I mean, they wanted to play some Teddy Riley back there, right. and the music teachers weren't with it. Right. So now. My biggest thing is that, you know, artists need to teach artists. Okay. And sometimes it's not like a full-fledged program as much as it is artists just teaching artists. Uh, like you mentioned Black Chakra. Black Chakra was introduced to spoken word from his teacher, who was a spoken word artist on the Baltimore scene, Rebecca DuPas. So, you know, it's like Slankston Hughes. He's work he works in the school system with the young people. So though I have an arts nonprofit, most of my engagement um, with 
the arts in the schools because I'm currently working at a charter school now. Um, it's not necessarily through the arts nonprofit. It's through, uh, hey, let me, um, I see your artist. Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, like actively working with artists that are there, sometimes taking them outside of the school and work, you know, let them be exposed to art. That's the best teacher, expose them to art. So teachers have a lot of autonomy, especially now with YouTube, there's educational videos that allow children to rap uh, and learn mathematics. So, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with it because, because so many things are being taken out of school, especially in the public school system, we need stuff like that in order to connect our, our young people I agree. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's money. I don't know if it's whatever well, it may be. It, it, right. I, think, I think it's priority um, in a sense of, like, for instance, one of my biggest goals was, like, I was never big on um, teaching. Like, I never really liked performing for children. I'd rather teach them the fundamentals of an art form. But I, my art form, like, a lot of teachers would see me at the bar performing. And they want me to come perform for their kids. I'm like, I said, my stuff, I'm Richard Pryor when it comes to the spoken word. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? My, my word usage is, is more so along those lines. So I'm more Red Fox <laughs> in terms of the content on um, word usage wise. There's consciousness and social commentary, but I'm talking to grown folk. And what I would want to happen is there's more of an engagement um, like all my children, not just because I'm into music. My mother used to play music a lot around the house. She got me into music by exposing me to the art. I think like as a village, we should take our children to the museums, expose them to art, expose them to music, talk to them about music because every generation of children are going to listen to music. And if you're not involved in the music they're listening to, don't be shocked when your daughter's twerking to Meg the Stallion and she only eleven years old. You said me or my daughter? Oh, my my daughter. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you want to twerk to Meg the Stallion, that's, that's what you chose to do. Nina's not twerking. Hold up. As, as, uh, as a grown adult. Not twerking. <laughs> if, if you know. Interesting fact: I love Meg the Stallion. That's what's up. Okay. She's relatable. Like you say, it's the content. Her stories are familiar. Wow. But, okay. and, and, and you ever, you ever heard of Rhapsody? Mm-hmm. You heard of Rhapsody? Mm-hmm. No, I don't know why, because I know I see it printed on something. I don't know if I'm talking about something sound or a group. No. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a woman, artist. and she's an MC. Yeah. She's a rapper. Oh. And she yeah, had, had one of the dopest albums, period. Like her last album. Each song was named after a black woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'll so, check her out. I'll yeah. look her up. Yeah, look her up. I just got on the scene maybe two years ago or a year before 2020 don't count. So mm -hmm. maybe the end of 18, I start doing Baltimore's local spoken word um, well, search. She's, she's, she's from down south, actually. No, I'm talking about our spoken word yeah. circuit here, yeah. where he used yeah. to be from. Yeah. I'm still so here. I was kind of new on the scene. Like Shin Year, she's the whole, she's very, very yeah. involved yeah, in our spoken word thing here. Mm -hmm. Um and I watched it grow. 
because it was a little bit more underground when I started. Um, by them having contests and social media and exposure, the scene kind of got big, big. Then COVID hit. So I don't know if we have to start all over again. You know, people are waiting to come out, yeah, but you got to yeah. risk that's not. Yeah, but I was proud of of how much you could find spoken word in our city. That's amazing. And um, shout out to Shanier because she invited me. Um, I want to say it's probably been a, at least two years now to an event down at uh, Micah, mm -hmm. and they were doing a spoken word competition, and they were like they were like college teams. So they had like the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, right. And a couple of other schools that were there. And um, I actually was the scorekeeper at that event. And I have to admit that I kind of slacked in my job because I was so much in awe right. of the talent mm -hmm. that was before me. Yeah. And um, I specifically remember that event because Slankston Hughes and Black Chakra got together during the quote unquote inter uh, intermission. Yeah. And they did a piece together. Yeah. And I was done for the rest of the day, bro. We still had like six other schools that had to come and perform. Yeah. But I was so in awe of those two together. Mm -hmm. And um, but again, it was you and the stuff that you were doing with Torchlight that kind of introduced me to all of that. Wombat always gets on me, or used to always get on me because I wasn't familiar with the hip hop scene, the right. stuff that was going on at Sonar. I didn't know about the ciphers. I didn't know about the ciphers that were happening down at the harbor. Yeah, the amphitheater. Yeah. And yeah. stuff like that. So he gets on me. You mentioned DMX. Yeah. I remember uh DMX sliding through to um Baltimore Cyphers. Mm, yeah. Darkman X is is definitely part of that uh that Baltimore history. Yeah. Um yeah, so it's like, and the thing about it is it's almost like if you're not if you don't know you don't know. I didn't know. And when you start to peep, like you know, oh wow, this is something that's going on. Again, like I said, when I when I came when I started to see what was going on in Baltimore it was 1991, and 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 it was it was already been going on <laughs> before then. So a lot of times we kind of Christopher Columbus the art scene in Baltimore, meaning. It doesn't exist until we discover it, but it's been going on for decades. You know, I, you know, I, I remember there are people that I see on the Baltimore scene. I remember going to their elementary schools. <laughs> That's how long this thing been going on. Uh, I yeah. remember, I remember when Slankson Hughes was a freshman in, in college. Come on, you know, bro. I remember, I remember his first slam. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I remember, you know, again, I remember when a lot of these, the ones who were winning all the contests now, I remember when they were in high school, you know? So this is a long tradition. Uh, a lot of years went into it. And though it's like, and I'm still very much so connected to Baltimore. So I don't know how, sometimes we put it in our mind that someone moved their zip code. I was just in Baltimore last weekend, you know what I mean? So I'm always in Baltimore, my family's in Baltimore. So it's like, you know, I'm about to do a whole show in Baltimore coming up soon. And I've been promoting shows in Baltimore without me being in Baltimore. So, yeah, I, I know everything that's going on in the city. I'm kind of like, I kind of exist in three cities at once right now. 
So even though I live in Philadelphia, I'm pretty much, you know, Brooklyn, Baltimore, DC, and you know, I know what's going on. So well, first of all, make sure you keep us connected for whatever it is that you're about to do here, because I would definitely come out and support. But Absolutely. with those three cities, and and we're talking three cities that even though we have a lot of similarities, there's a a ton of differences. Ton of them, um, yeah. Yeah. What what do you see? that's unique in each city? Um, well, let's see. i tell you this, like off, like right now, Baltimore and, and, and Brooklyn are kind of going through some of the same things, wherein uh, gentrification is affecting a lot of what's happening in, in, in these cities. And it's happening to the degree that it's kind of going unnoticed. Like in Baltimore, one of the things that's going unnoticed and not really, and it was a big deal to me when I was leaving Baltimore. Like Baltimore, uh, when I left in 2010, I could put my hand on, Baltimore had a thriving live entertainment scene uh, for 10 years straight, right? Most cities, and I'm talking about Philadelphia, uh, Brooklyn, very few cities had events and things that were going for like 10 years straight. And one of the reasons why Baltimore was able to do that is that the majority, now hear this carefully, the majority of, of the events that were functioning in Baltimore were functioning in black owned uh, buildings, right? You were in the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, Five Seasons, uh, I, the list goes on, right? There's a lot of places that held Baltimore down for all these years, Peace and a Cup of Joe. A lot of these places were um, beachheads for black arts in Baltimore. Though they didn't make a lot of money off the arts because it was black owned, a lot of black artists had time to develop and get good. Now child studio, all these buildings were black owned, right? So the black art scene in Baltimore had an opportunity to grow. And one of the things that, um, and I see there's a lot of exciting things happening. Um, I would like to know more about what's going on with like the black arts district in Baltimore. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, so that's supposed to be happening on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, oh, the okay. The Royal Theater rebuilt. Yes, yeah, I am. Trying to revitalize that whole Royal yeah. Theater. Yeah, yeah, but not just the Royal Theater. That area is supposed to be designated yeah, as a Black part. Arts District. Right. And the woman that's put in charge of that just won one of these um, poetry competitions. Lady Breon. So I'm I just, I, I just reached out to her. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just, I'm, uh, please have her come on and discuss more of what that's going to look like because that's going to be uh, what the Baltimore scene is going to look like in the next 10 years. One of the things about what uh, the Baltimore scene looked like for the past 20 years prior is due to the entrepreneurship of um, the artists themselves. Like I would say like over the past 10, 15 years, a lot of us who are artists were artistpreneurs, where when we put up our own money to pay these venues to have our events 
And so it's going to be the entrepreneurial class, the black entrepreneurial class in, in Baltimore, along with the black artists that determines what the, the Baltimore scene is going to look like the years to come. So that's one thing I'm, I'm concerned about, the difference in what's going on in Baltimore, because when I go back to Baltimore, I see this huge disparity of poor and rich. There's not a lot in between right now. Uh, Baltimore, more than any other city I've, I've been to, has more of a, a black teenage homeless population. Mm, okay. We have a lot of uh, teenagers who are homeless in Baltimore. So we got to pay attention to that. We got to pay attention to the drug culture in Baltimore. You know what I mean? And if anybody know any young kids, young cats that's smoking weed, tell them to be careful because there's a lot of fentanyl in, in what I'm seeing going on in Baltimore. If you're seeing young kids smoking weed and they stuck, weed don't supposed to make you stuck. There's a lot of stuckness going on in Baltimore right now. I see it every time I come through. I'm like, yo, I'm like, young, and you smoke, yeah. It's like you smoking weed, but you like this. Yeah, you stuck. So we got to watch that. Um, that's what's happening in Baltimore. Brooklyn, I, I can't, man. I don't even know what Brooklyn is anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so much gentrification in Brooklyn. Yeah, I can't. I I can't intelligently speak on Brooklyn right now because everything I used to know about Brooklyn doesn't even exist anymore. They got they got Starbucks and all of these things right across the street from Marcy yeah. Projects now, from what I understand. So yeah, man, Philly. Yeah. I love Philadelphia. I love the people of Philadelphia because they remind me of you know what I love, the things I love most about Baltimore, just regular people. You know what I mean? It's like regular folk on some regular folk type stuff. You know what I mean? So it's you know I love I love Philadelphia. I love Baltimore, love Brooklyn, but um, yeah, Baltimore is always home. Cause you know, Baltimore, we got a certain rhythm and I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this. Uh, I don't know if y'all heard about it. It's going to be a, a a movie on Netflix, a documentary about the Baltimore uh, club scene. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So it's be coming up in the next couple of weeks. So I'm uh, Oh my gosh. What's the guy's name? Um, Nina, there was a guy that we knew a couple of years ago that was trying to, can't think of his name. And I'm not even going to delay the show, but that's interesting. And you said it's going to be on Netflix? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, if you type it in your browser on Facebook, it'll come up. What's the name of it? I don't know. I, I put a, a thing's called Dark City. I would say it's all in how you search, really. I don't know what the name of it is, but I was just looking at it. Yeah, you put Netflix in Baltimore, it probably come up in there. Yeah. Um, I did want to give a shout out to the Avenue Bakery on Pennsylvania Avenue here in Baltimore City. That's yeah. all so a part of the quarter of the World Theater and the Black Artist uh, Revitalization in that area. That's my people. Stop by when you want something sweet. And um, on the right track, racing. That's for kids that are, we're teaching them how to drive remote control cars, which also segues them into learning graphics, mechanics, and how to really race cars. They also have their piece on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Let me say something about North Avenue, which used to be kind of an in-your-face but underground arts district. That's mm -hmm. where your gentrification is really happening. Oh, like yeah. they've basically taken over North Avenue and all the little clubs that made it kind of black owned and, and operated. So um, I, before COVID, 
a lot of things shut down, but a lot of things were rebuilt, were moved around. They have all kinds of artist hubs. Um, they have a movie theater now, but it definitely looks like a different space. But that and Motel 6 is still there for your convenience. Right. Hey, on that note, let me tell you this. There's, let me say this. When you, because you know I live in Sedonia. Okay. So if I come down Bel Air Road and I make that right-hand turn on the North Avenue, uh-huh. there's bike and bus lanes on North Avenue Yeah. from Bel Air Road to Coppin. Yeah, it is. That's a, that's a major sign that yeah. things are about to change. Oh, yeah. North Avenue. Yeah, they, Without they, your approval or not. Without your approval or not. Because they, I mean, like they're jamming up traffic now. They're not even full into full operation. Like they really don't care how you feel about what they get ready to do to your city. At all. It's technically a one lane street going east to west now. Yeah. I will technically, I didn't get any notification from the NVA or anyone else. I have not been trained on what those lanes are. So in the event that I am pulled it. If they cannot provide me or educate me, I will not be getting a ticket on that day. And if I get a ticket, I will not be using it when I go to court. Did you get notification from Brandon Scott? I'm a Baltimore County resident. He didn't. Sorry. Wasn't in my mailbox. It didn't show up in my job where I work in the city. Don't play with me. <laughs> no, but, it's, but you, can, you can definitely see the changes that are about to come. I mean, it's it's been well known in the city for years that John Hopkins has taken over East Baltimore. Oh yeah. So that noun is pretty much about to expand over to North Avenue. And I don't I don't know where the current residents are gonna go, but it, there's definitely gonna be a lot of change in the next five years. Um yes. and like I said, that that lane goes from Bel Air Road to Coppin. So we're talking a nice little stretch of North Avenue. So. And that is the lane I use every day to come home from Sinclair and North Avenue all the way up to Warbrook Junction. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Mo asked me to ask you about an album called This Thing Called Life. <laughs> yeah, so if you go to our uh, our website, is griotsoulrecords.com. It's G-R-I-O-T. Griot is a, is a French word, so the T is silent. It's so for storyteller, right? Yeah. Griotsoulrecords.com. I have an album called This Thing Called Life. I, um, I recorded it and released it right around the time um, during the pandemic. Um, and it's, it's my, the, the last project I've, ha- I've had out. Um, it turned into, it's, so it's called This Thing Called Life. Um, the music, because I produce music as well, uh, the music is a, is a Prince tribute. So all the, the music that you hear on the, on the, on the project is me replaying um, certain Prince-inspired uh, music. Uh, the rhymes are talking about everything we going through. So uh, if you remember the beginning of Let's Go Crazy, Prince says, dearly beloved, we gather here to get to this thing called life. So the name of the project is This Thing Called Life. 
So it was the mood that I was in during the pandemic and us getting through this thing called life. So yeah, that's my latest project. You can go to griosoulrecords.com. That's the website for our record label. You'll find some amazing artists on there and you'll find my project, this thing called life. So with COVID, mm -hmm. you had some time to keep still or to work differently. Um, did that affect your writing? Um, yeah, in a good way. Um, because the, um, I think, you know, with the pandemic, it made everyone sit still for a minute and, and figure out how to move differently. Um, some people went stir crazy. I kind of enjoyed the, uh, the, the centralization of energies, if you will, like, you know, to sit still long enough. And uh, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I don't think we would have launched our, um, our spoken word record label the way that we did. Um, because spoken word being such a in-your-face live performance medium, uh, I've always recorded music and uh, video content for what it is that we're doing. So the pandemic allowed me to find an, another means of getting my art out to the people. Because as I get older, you know, my desire to be up and down the road and being on stages here and being there, you know, I don't, I don't want to perform as much. So now I can record the product and get it to you in real time. That's one thing I love about, you know, uh, technology, because I can record something now and you can get it all within the week. So that's how we released that project. So, yeah, I definitely work differently now. I know a lot of poets write through their pain. Did you have that period? Did you experience through the pain, the pain of the pandemic? Was did that translate on paper anywhere? Um, not so much. Okay. I didn't really go through a lot of pain um, during the pandemic. I, I try to write holistically. Um, I write from a very real place, uh, but within the writing. Uh, I don't like to, I like to resolve things in the writing. You know, yeah. when I was younger, uh, in my younger days, it was about like, you know, that's one of the things that I really want people, if you're like, we're talking about like DMX for a minute, you know, we were talking about him. And I, I, I hasten people, like if you're gonna listen to DMX, try to listen to his whole catalog. Absolutely. Because like me and DMX are like the same age, you know, I'll, I'm turning 50 this year myself. And the way that he wrote in 98 is not the way that he necessarily wrote in uh, 2021. So if you listen throughout the, all of his stuff, there's the evolution of the man. So when you're younger, it's about, you know, I just feel like this. That's just how I feel. So, you know what I mean? I don't give a fuck how niggas feel. <laughs> you know, so you get that because that's exactly where he was at. You get the raw energy. But as the evolution of the man comes along, even in the early days, he wrote about the demons. He wrote about the struggle with the demons. And as he went along, you know what I mean? You, you hear him quoting scripture. And DMX, like you said, DMX prayed, prayed for us when we couldn't pray, when we weren't praying for ourselves. So I really want people to like, when you look at somebody like a DMX, you know, that's something that I always try to give in everything that I write. I'm not just going to give you pain. 
I'm going to give you the pain. I'm going to give you some of the resolution. But the last thing I'm going to write on that piece of paper is that we're going to be all right. We're going to make it through. So I write from a real place that there's some pain involved, but I'm trying to find the resolution. I'm not going to leave you halfway. I'm a grown ass man. I got grandchildren. So I ain't just going to be like, I'm mad. And thank you. Good night. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm mad. But as a grown ass man, you got to deal with your anger and keep living. Peace. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm giving you all Hold up. Hold up. You got grandchildren, bro? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm I'm. We do grown man things on this side. So, yeah, I'm not going to. My daughter's getting married in July. Oh, see. I already, I told her and her fiance, as soon as the I do's are over, just go straight and make me start, make, start working on my right. grandchild. That's I, right. I right. Let me ask you this. So, you, you said evolution. So, yeah. what, has, what has been your evolution from the time that I got on to either Paul and MC back in 95, 96? to now. Whew. A lot more wisdom, man. A lot more wisdom. Because the the, the fortunate and unfortunate thing about um, poems and, and recordings and things of that nature is that it captures you know, your, your mentality, your trials, your everything at that time. You know what I mean? So it's a lot of things. Like I have a lot of pieces that people are like, oh, I love that piece. I'm like, good. Hang on to it. You know what I mean? If you got it on a CD, good luck. Because as a grown ass man in 2021, I'm not going to perform some certain things that I did in 1998 because I'm a different man. You know what I mean? Like I found resolution with a lot of the demons that I've been carrying. You know what I mean? We all fighting the fight. So you're privileged as an audience member to watch somebody fight their fight on stage. But some of the, the things about that is um, sometimes as fans, we don't allow people to grow. You know what I mean? So when I'm in the gym and I'm working out with, you know, get at me, dog. You know what I mean? I'm working out with it, but I ain't going to hold that man to just that person. You know what I mean? So the evolution of myself, you know what I mean? You know, I've learned a whole lot more. That life is not so, so black and white. There's a lot of grays. You know what I mean? There's a lot of gray in between black and white. You know what I mean? So certain things I may have been so forthright about and like just, just the way it is, I leave room for, well, you know, I can see how you don't see that truth in that manner. So I'm going to leave you room for that. So I try to leave some room in my writing that, you know what I mean, I'm giving you this side of that thing, but there's more sides to this thing. You know what I mean? So I leave room for more sides to the thing. <laughs> so, so in other words, if you want the old E... Go buy the OD. <laughs> yeah, man. I was listening to something. Yeah. A uh, project I put out in like the early 2000s, man. And I cursed so much in that that project, man. I just cursed a lot. You know what I'm saying? Because I curse now, but I don't curse that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just cussing every other word. Like, damn, bro, you so mad for? What's going on? What's going on with you? You seem angry. But that's where I was at. So it was an honest um, artistic expression at the time. And and it's it's funny that you say that because I think back to that time, like we're celebrating twenty years of the top of the uh, the twin towers coming down. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So much stuff has happened. Yeah. Not only not only as far as the world is concerned, but as far as life is concerned. Yeah. Since 
And so if you haven't grown as an artist exactly. in that time, then something is wrong. And unfortunately, we do have a lot of artists that hasn't grown. Or yeah, these, or and these uh, the projects that we're hearing, the, the product that we're hearing, there's been no growth in the product. I'll put it like that. Well, uh, the thing is, it's kind of like, I think that the, the, the cardinal mistake that people are making is, like we mentioned Meg Thee Stallion early, earlier. And one, one of the things is that certain, certain art forms, I would say, don't allow for itself to grow up. Yeah. You know what I mean? The art form doesn't allow for it. So if the art form doesn't allow for it, what you're going to have is there's only like three or four narratives in the whole art form. And you'll have people who are too old to keep repeating those narratives are going to keep trying to repeat those narratives. And then you're going to have somebody young come in and, well, it makes more sense that I'm talking about I'm standing on the street corner shooting people than yeah. somebody 40 doing it. So they end up taking that space. Then the 40-year-old rapper run out of things to talk about. So there's always more to talk about. And the, the worst phenomenon that I've seen in years is uh, that you'll have grown folk this i think this is one of the only times where you'll have someone 40 years old listening to the same music as someone 12 years old and they listen to it the exact same way i've never seen that before in history now i remember when i was a teenager my mother you know i had a young mother my mother was only like 19 years older than myself so i remember her appreciating I see what you're getting out of that. But like my mother wasn't standing next to me <laughs> trying to do the same dances that I'm doing. If she did it, she's doing it jokingly. Like I'm, you know, I'm joking with you. I can, I can walk, you know, I could do that. I could do that. But she knew that wasn't her dance. You know what I mean? Though she could do it, because my mother looked very young for her age at that time. So she, you know, she ain't look crazy doing the walk, but she like, you know, I'm gonna leave that for the for the for little kids to do. Because once upon a time, we look for the things that separated us from what the kids would do. So, you know, I, I look relatively younger than maybe I'm, I, I'm, I look maybe a little younger than I actually am, but I'm not trying to occupy a 30 year old space. You know what I mean? Like the 30 year olds, I'm 50. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I like my 50 year old space. So I want to see, you know, I want to, I want to, I go shopping. I'm like, yeah, it looks all right, but it looks like something my son might wear. So let him wear that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm over here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let the children be the children. You know what I mean? And let the grown folk be the grown folk. I'm just a big proponent of that. So likewise with art, especially if you come out of hip hop, like, you know what I mean? I see dudes like, you know, I come from a street background. But by the time I was in my my 20s and 30s, my late 30s or whatever, I'm not talking about a street background. I'm not glamorizing something that I was doing when I was 17 years old. So you got 30 plus year old rappers talking about, yeah, because we was in them streets and we was da da da. You were 17, bro. And if you weren't 17, if you was doing it at 25, that's called arrested development. That's not cool. <laughs> if you was doing it, you know what I'm saying? 
So it's like what you talking about and yours, grandbabies? Yeah, I do mention my grandbabies because I, I have grandbabies. So a lot of what I talk about, I talk about like generational wisdom, for instance. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like I got I got stuff that's gonna appeal to somebody that's in the street. You know what I mean? Like I remember like when me and my me and my dudes, we was in the streets, right? And they used to bring people to talk to us uh, at, at Douglas. We was in the street. You know what I mean? And they got people coming to talk to us at Douglas. And there's two type of people they always brought through. One type of person was always the dude like, you know what I'm saying? I did 10 years. You got me? I got a bullet hole right here. I got it. You know what I'm saying? I was out there on, you know, you from Division Street? I was on Division in Gold. I was out there doing the yeah me. You know, you had that guy. Right, we ain't paying him no mind because you corny, you grown, and you talking about division and gold. We out there now, so you corny. I ain't listening to that. But then you had to do that. Maybe had on a shirt and tie. That was like, yeah, I understand what your young brother's doing out there. I get all that. You know, what I, mean? I understand you feel like you got to do what you got to do. But you know what I'm saying? There's other ways of living. There's other things that you could be doing. I'm listening to him because he don't look like me. I'm trying to do what he's trying to do. I want to see why he grew up in a nice car, shirt and tie. He don't look like he got the same stress that I got. So I'm listening to that dude. Not the dude that's trying to win points to let me know he where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? So when I see a 40-year-old rapper still talking street guns and blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? I don't need you to tell me I'm here. <laughs> that's why you have a lot of young rappers going at older people. You know what I'm saying? Like Meek Mill, for instance. He go. He gets into it with um on in social media on Clubhouse. I don't know if y'all familiar with Clubhouse, but he goes through this thing on Clubhouse where the young cats are like, you know, what I mean, fuck out of here. Like we see you, we see you round the way. We putting them things in you because you're talking crazy right now. You know what I'm saying? Because you're you're removed. You're not you're not where we are. Don't don't act like you where we at. You're not here. You know what I mean? So. I'm talking like I'm talking from wisdom. I know all about the street thing, but I'm gonna give you some things you can use while you're in the streets to get you about them streets. I ain't gotta prove to you that I'm street wise and act like I'm out there banging guns. That's corny. Kids don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's corny. It's like yeah, it's just corny. Twine. Huh? Twine. Yes. Did you have something to say? No, I'm just I'm just applauding everything that he just said right there because okay, so there's, there's, how does that go with the we put age limits on how old somebody can be to do something? No, is that actually, your thing? Yeah, actually, definitely put age limits on certain things you can do. Um, that's I mean that's what uh, like adults do that to themselves. You know what I mean? Because it's called like with me, for instance, every year of my life. My goal is like I should be making more money. I should understand how to be healthier. I should understand like I try to benchmark like every year I should be smarter. You know what I mean? Like I should be no more things. What did I learn in the last 365 days that I didn't know last year? I should be better at everything that I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like I'm a better writer this year than I was last year. I'm a better musician than I am this year than I was last year. I'm a better businessman this year than I was last year. That's how we mark our growth. If we mark our growth by how well we can still do some of the things we did last year, that's not growth. That's arrested development. 
So what I noticed, like for instance, um, I remember going to the clubs in my early 30s because I was recently divorced. So I'm going back to the club and I'm going to hang out, da 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 da. And dudes in my age bracket, I was like, yeah, let, you know, let's go to, let's go where the women at. And a lot of them wanted to go to the younger club. I'm like, why you want to go to the younger club? I'm looking for grown ass women. You know, I mean? I'm trying to slide down Melba's. You know what I'm saying? I try to go, <laughs> I try to go where the grown folk at. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I try to catch some. Now the thing is, I was dating younger women. You know what I mean? Not by like, oh, I'm gonna go after you because you're younger. Because I was in the art circles. So if I'm around somebody and they cool, and like, oh, we kicking it, and but she's younger than I am. Oh, okay. Well, we just gonna make this do what it do. It's cool. I ain't got no problem with that. But I ain't gonna go party with the young girls to look for. You know what I'm saying? What I realized with some of the older dudes were trying to do was it was easier for them to get with younger women because they didn't have the skill set to get with women closer to their own age. So they wanted to shoot fish in a barrel. So I think a lot of times we keep trying to do things, you know what I mean? We don't want to age out of certain things. We're not looking for our next challenge because it's easy to like, you know, it's like the fly girl in college or the fly girl in high school. She used to get by on the fact that she was cute. You know, I'm cute. Then after a while, you know what I mean? Cuteness starts to fade. You look a little different. But you still trying to, I'm still hot. I'm still cute. I'm, you know what I mean? That's why you got, you know, 50-year-old women doing um, twerk videos on TikTok. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, you could do it because I'm this 50-year-old men on TikTok looking for, you know what I mean? 50-year-old <laughs> women on TikTok. I don't know. So we, we always had this conversation where somebody says such and such is too old to be doing such and such. Right. I think the spin you just put on it is they can still do such and such, but the content has to change. Yeah. Just do it, just do it as a 50-year-old. Like, like um Holly Berry. She's still bad. And she's still she's bad for us. Now, 20-year-old dude, like, eh, her body okay, but she look a little old. Let her look old to you, young blood. She she highly buried me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's in the 50 and over crew. From a from a from a hip hop standpoint, yeah. Every time I hear this conversation, I go to Rick Ross. Yeah. Because Rick Ross is X amount of albums deep. He's mm -hmm. X amount of years in the game. Mm -hmm. And we know that you weren't doing certain things that you talk about in your music because you were living a certain profession. But that part, once you got once you got in the game and you started making this money and you got to the point where they can film coming to America too at your house because your house, yeah. At, at some point, your your narrative has to change for me. Not not if you never cared about um, integrity in the first place. And I mean, we talk about a man who was taken to court by the real Rick Ross mm -hmm. and I want my name. Because of perpetuating that lifestyle, right? Yeah, but it, you know, and but you got my name. Mm. At birth, I'm, I'm, I'm Rick Ross. So I want you to leave my name alone. No, leave, leave my name alone. Now, me personally, as a man of integrity, even though that would be my rap name, he could have just changed his name to Ricky Rose. Just leave it at that. Out of respect. Like if you if you respect that whole street thing and you respect that man's journey in the streets 
And then that man respectfully like, yo, man, it's a lot of tarnish. I'm not trying to perpetuate that thing. And plus you're doing it with my name. Can you not use my name? That man ain't got to take me to court. Because if you're a street dude, like I'm a street dude, out of respect for what that street thing is, and that man, he don't want his name going into the history of the universe That's as the, the architect of crack. <laughs> from, from a Baltimore perspective, that would be like me getting in a rap game and calling myself Peanut King. Exactly. And then if Peanut King came to you and respectfully right. like, yo, young bro, don't do that. Right. Don't right. do that. That man's oh, out. You know what I mean? Like, don't do that, bro. Right. Out of respect for, if you even using that name out of respect, because, you know, Peanut King was big. You know what I'm saying? Now, if he ain't doing that no more, right. and he don't want you to be like, yo, don't do that. Out of, if, you, if you're a real dude, out of respect, I ain't going to, come on, man. Leave that man name long. Well, first but, of all, I wouldn't have taken that name. That's first and foremost. But then. That's, that's and, one. That's right. a human being. Like, I'm not going to call myself. You call yourself Scarface because that's a fictitious character. Right. But you then, but then if I do take that name and the guy comes at me and he's like, "Bro, yeah. I'm trying to do something different now." Yeah, come I'm on, gonna change my name. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's. But that's the thing about it. Like hip hop has not been about integrity for a long time on the commercial side of things. Mm. It's like it's about the exploitation of certain narratives. Let's say you are a street guy. You know what I mean? You have that in your background. Because the, the, the quiet is kept is that the majority of anybody, most of those dudes coming out of New York hip hop from Melly Mel to uh, Grandmaster Flash, all these would do, they dudes in the street. Right. You know what I mean? They may have, may have been street dudes doing street things. David Ruffin from uh, The Temptation was a street dude. You know what I'm saying? Carried the gun, snorted coke. All that, you know what I'm saying? But that wasn't in the music. That wasn't a thing to do. So it became a thing to do in hip hop. So I don't even buy like, you know, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just talking about my real life. I don't even buy that. You're talking about that part of your real life because it sells records. If that part of your real life didn't sell records, you wouldn't talk about that side of your real life. You're talking about the side of your life that you think will get you notoriety and sales. There's a lot of things happening in your life. You kissed your mom in your life too. Where's the song about kissing your mother? Come on now. Come on. Come it was on now. Yeah. It's the homeboy that kissed now. Sorry. Okay, you got that part. Keep it a buck then. Make that song. That's what you do. <laughs> you know what so you pick and choose what you want to talk about because this part was sell records. You know what I mean? And me personally, with all the murders of, of, of black men by the police, I don't want to hear another song about a black man shooting another black man no more. Yeah. How come we can't do a song about shooting um cops? We get some more of them songs. Write that narrative. I jumped out of the car, cop came away, blew that nigga away. I mean, do that. Do that song. So on that note, and, and, <laughs> and I really wasn't going to go there, but since you kind of took it in that direction, Oh, shooting um, cops? Just give oh. me, no, not shooting cops, no. We got, oh, we got okay. about but just give me your thoughts on the stuff that's going on in Minnesota right now and as far as the the case and then the fact that in the middle of the Shulman case, um, we've had yet another black man whose life was taken away by a cop who, 
her right. alibi is she, she, she thought made a mistake. She made a mistake. She looks like that black ass gun. Right. The yellow ass taser. Yeah. Oh. Or it's the same weight. You know what I mean? You don't. Oh, it's, not, it's not even close to the same weight, bro. It's <laughs> it's not. But, it's not at all. Give us your thoughts on that. I mean, you know, my my thoughts are very consistent um, with, with my thoughts what I've put down on record for the past twenty some odd years. At a certain point, um, we got to. I'm convinced that the manner in which. Uh, the police deal with black people is part of the psychological profile yeah, and part of the training of police officers. Historically, from the slave catchers to there's no point in history, in the history of this country, that the way that the, the police department has been policing black people, it's never been different than it is right now. Therefore, it is not broken and it is set up the way that it is supposed to be set up. It is exactly. working. We just don't know that it's working. So the thing is, we're dealing with cognitive dissonance wherein we know that we're in a situation that is designed to kill us. But because like deep down inside, somebody told me a long time ago, a member of my family told me years ago, one of the elder members in my family said that when Dr. King came along, uh, some of us were kind of angry at him because he made us look at something that we did not want to look at. Because if we looked at it, we may have to deal with the feeling of powerlessness to actually do anything about it. So once you accept the fact that you're in a system that wants to oppress, murder, terrorize you, once you accept that, like we just, none of this is a mistake. None of this is a Black Lives Matter rally is not bringing to their consciousness that your life matters. They don't agree with you. All right, we're in a system that don't agree that Black Lives Matter. So once you've accepted that, that's the first state stage in how you plan to handle that. That's the first stage, and I don't think we've collected. I think we're getting so we're getting so close to it that we're we're accepting that this is the mode of operation of the system we're in. So once we accept that, we'll start to develop things that make sense of how we deal with that situation. One of the first things that we'll start to do is, let's say you go to Walbrook, right? I go, I went to Douglas. So there's a normal rivalry thing there, right? You know what I mean? Like, well, you know, you go over there, we go over there. We don't really bang with each other. Boom, right? If me and you get stuck in, uh, let's say, D.C. in the 80s. Right. Because this happened to me, as a matter of fact, I used to live in Petersburg, Virginia. And it was a dude that I met in Virginia that was from East Baltimore. Right. And but when we were in Virginia, we called each other B-more. Yo, what's up, B-more? Yo, what's up, B-more? We didn't care about East and West <laughs> when we was in Petersburg, Virginia. Because to them 
country cats down there, we were different. So me and him, we used to lock arms. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? We Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? You beef with Baltimore, you beef with Baltimore. That's how we carried it. So that's how we got through Petersburg. Likewise, now, with this too much, like, we don't believe that Black Lives Matter enough to not kill each other or to have enough love for each other that we move as a united wall because we may got beef with each other, but not like the beef that they got with us. Yeah, right. So it's not until we start moving in such a manner that, like, when the George Floyd thing went down, the black people that were there were moving correctly. Like, usually everybody just recorded, but they were trying to actively engage the police, like, yo, you killing that man, get off that man, right? We're getting closer, because the next step that happens is we're not gonna watch nobody kill a black man and not at least jump at him, like, try to get him out of there, because there's gotta be a love for, like, for instance, God forbid, brother, God forbid, if that was your child, under that man's knee, would you have just seated with that man or would you have physically endangered yourself to save your child? That's the question. Duh. Yeah, you would physically endanger yourself to, to save probably, your child. That probably would be dead. Yeah, would be dead. right. But it'd be, it'd be a worthy death than to watch your child die and not have done anything. So, the thing is, it's not till we develop that kind of love with each other that, like, you know, if I see another black man in that kind of situation or another black woman in that kind of situation, that I already have enough love for other black people, that I'm going to treat that situation like that was my mother right there. You know what I mean? We used to function from that kind of love, but we've gotten away from that. And I think it's from a steady diet, because, like, for instance, like we're having this conversation now, but how many of us even watching this or whatever about to go pop on some some rap music where somebody, you know, fuck that nigga over there, shoot that nigga, fuck that nigga. There. We, we live a steady diet where we listen to black people kill black people. So when a black person kills a black person, like we don't rally like this when this happens in our neighborhood. But you know what, bro? When, when, you put that narrative there and you say, okay, yeah, we we come together and we rally and we want to do this, that, and the third when we get killed by a white cop. But then right. 20 minutes later, you know, Jojo from up the street and shot three dudes. Right. And you put that narrative out there. You get people that don't want to hear that. It's right. really people that don't want to hear that. Right. Because we don't think that there's a relationship. But everything, there's a relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because believe it or not, I honestly believe the way that the police over anxiously police black people, right, is because they feel they're protecting something. They're protecting their white world against black people. That's why they joined the force. Right. That's what the force means. That's what the force means. Like, we, you know, we're protecting, you know, the private citizens and private property. Property. They don't mean you. So when they're in our neighborhoods, they're there just to make sure that the, the animals stay in the cage. Yeah. And may kill me a nigga today. You know what I mean? But they see, when they see one of us in somewhere, oh, wait a minute now. Let me make sure this nigga ain't, ain't disturbing my world. Right. 
So and because they're moving as a solid wall right there. Yeah. And and it's 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 funny that you said that because I'm gonna I'm gonna paint you a picture. Um this had to be like 30 years ago. Um and we're talking York Road and we're talking Woodburn, Northern Parkway. On the other side of York Road, you're going towards Loyola College. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that land back there, a lot of those homes back there were Safe. white homes. Right. So my grandmother lived on the other side of York Road. She lived on Clear Spring. Mm-hmm. I'm staying with my grandmother one summer. I'm bored. So I just go and walk. And I cross over York Road and I'm going towards that area, those neighborhoods that are going towards Loyola College. Mm-hmm. And I get pulled over by like four cops. And the only thing that I'm told is that we're being told that someone strange is walking in our neighborhood. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Right. I was fortunate, hindsight being 50-50 at this point, that two of the four cops that pulled me over were black. Mm -hmm. And I was able to explain to them that, yo, I'm not out here trying to do nothing. I'm from West Baltimore. I'm over here on the east side and I'm bored for the summer. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to do. I'm just walking to kill time. I don't know a damn thing about this neighborhood that I'm walking into. But as we come closer to real time, I could have been Trayvon Martin. Easy, yeah. Easily, thirty mm-hmm. something years ago, yeah. Because I'm just this young black man walking in a neighborhood that I didn't know it back then, but I wasn't supposed to be in. Right. And had I count, had I encountered a group of all white police officers, yeah, it could have been a thing. Just the slightest resistance, like, bro, I live less than a mile from here. Let me turn around and walk home. Mm-hmm. No, young black man, you're in this block that even though York and Woodburn, which is the the blackest of the blackest blocks that you're going to see in Northeast Baltimore is a couple of blocks over. Mm -hmm. You're you you ventured into this wrong, you know, this this wrong part of town. Yeah, you're you're a crip and you ventured over into blood territory. Basically, yeah. But now, now check this out. Like I used to explain to my son, um, you know, he's older now. He's a military man. He's 22, whatever. When he was a teenager, I just explained to him that what you think is harmless is is not so harmless. In the sense that though, you know, I mean, he was the average uh, 16-year-old boy, whatever. And one thing that we don't prepare like our teenage boys and girls for is that your parents know you, you know yourself, right? When you're 16, you're still, you're young, right? But when you walk out the door, some of these young girls are shaped like grown women. So people are gonna respond to you like you're a grown woman. Some of these young men, you know, they look like my my son had facial hair, whatever. He looked like a grown man. I said, so the moment you walk out this door, People are interacting with you like a grown man, not like a 16-year-old little boy. He was a good kid, you know what I mean? But he wanted to put on his headphones and 
listen to whatever you want to listen to, whatever. And while he's out there listening to whatever he's listening to, did we lose the brother? He's still there? Okay. He's still here. Okay. It's like, while you out there listening to what you're listening to, people are going to encounter you like you're some type of a grown man, like you're some type of a, an adult of some sort. They're reacting off of what you look like, not who you are. Exactly. Now, then what you look like becomes what somebody was fed of what that look like is. So if you're like, at the time, he's a young man, all he's listening to is music about young niggas out in the street, shoot niggas, shoot niggas, I shoot niggas, da, da, da. So you living off a steady diet that, that portrays young black men as gangster thugs out here in the street. What other, like since then to now, there aren't many other portrayals of young black men coming from young black men. <laughs> young black men are perpetuating themselves as street niggas and thugs. The music, the movies, everything says we're street niggas and thugs. You're eating that. White kids are eating that. That's what young black men are, street niggas, thugs. Uh, all, all the girls are uh, booty twerking, wop, that. That's, that's all young black women are. Gold diggers. Yeah, they're not even so much gold diggers as much as sexual objects. That's, what, that's how young black women are portraying themselves. Cardi B is portraying herself in this manner. I asked you about Rhapsody. You haven't seen, you don't even know who that is because you don't see her on the airwaves. Right. And, and I just her. looked it up and she wasn't the first person that popped up. Exactly. And start talking about the relationship with music rather than her. Right. And she's a rapper. And she's one of the best female rappers out there, but you won't hear none about her because she's not getting the position that Meg Thee Stallion and Cardi B and the mulattoes and the rest of them are getting. So having said that, there's these one-dimensional character caricatures of young Black people, men and women, that's just one-dimensional. So if uh, a white dude encounters one of these young black women in the street, he, he's not dealing with her like she's this intelligent being. He's dealing with her like the last music video that he saw of young black women. Because if all the videos show black women one way, if all the movies show black women one way, then that's pretty much, that must be the way that they are because anybody putting a gun to their head and making them show something else. Same thing with these young black men. So I'm just saying that these narratives, we need to find counter narratives, you know, because in the 80s, you would have two live crew being popular. You would have public enemy being popular. Little Kim. You would have, well, you know, Little Kim's a little later. She was in the 90s. You was in the 90s. You were in the 80s? She was in the 90s. She was in the 90s. Oh, yeah, she was way in the 90s, yeah. But my point being is like hip hop used to used to the the powers that be because they didn't know how to market hip hop let all the hip hop exist all at the same time. So you had NWA, Ghetto Boys, but you also had Public Enemy and Brand New Ones all at the same time. Now it's like now they know how to market. They're only going to market heavily one thing. So those narratives are hurting us right now. This is the point that I was making. You know, man. Great. I forgot the question, but it was a definitely a great conversation. I don't even know how we started that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, about the, um, about the, you know, the conversation is good, though. Yeah, yeah you asked me how I thought about the George Floyd thing. 
and our reaction to it. And I was laying out all the different things that is preparing us to finally respond to these things as they are. And one of the things that we're not, we spend a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how white people are gonna respond to us. But we really need to spend more time and redirecting how we respond to ourselves. And, and, and that's a connection there. Because yeah. white people respond to ourselves because they see our greatness translated into fear more than we do. We have no clue who we are and why these people are afraid of us. Yeah. I mean, so a part of us owning our heritage and our ancestry and our queen and royalty and our greatness is a part of what's going on yeah. right now. That's what, what we're trying to keep quiet. We gotta so see, we gotta sending start you all right. these negative images, negative things, you will never see who you are unless you put in the work to see behind it. Yeah. So so with that being said, do the white people look at us and say, oh, them niggas are killing each other every day, so why do we have to... I mean, you know I, mean? That, I, don't, I don't give them that excuse because it's like, historically, they've been killing us without us modeling us killing us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So whether we kill us or not, they're gonna do what they do. They've been doing right. it since forever. We didn't kill each other on the plantation, but they did. When we got out of, we was in the Jim Crow South, we didn't kill each other like this, but they did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? During the, the 50s and the 60s, we marched for equal rights. We weren't killing ourselves like this, but they did. So- And us showing our strength, Made yeah. them have to come up with other more yeah. discreet systemic ways to get us to, to help us or to get us weak enough so that they can keep us in control. And they realize in the 60s. He can come back on this show. Have them back. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just no, I'm just saying that they realized that the part that they were afraid of is that if we came together as a solid wall and dealt with them, that could be problematic for them. So they try to come up with something to kind of keep us separated a little bit more. So now they're encouraging us, you know what I mean? Because the, the murder rates in Philadelphia, we already, what, passed uh, 500 um, in this year already. Um, I know Baltimore is up there as well. So, yeah. So it's like people were just shooting and killing each other because the warriors, you know what I mean? I'm all for killers. But our killers need to be defended. And we killing each other like once upon a time, we killed each other for, for something. Now we kill each other because we disagree with each other. Yeah, because it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. It's Tuesday. I'm gonna go so, shoot so so let me ask y'all this now, and, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. But now, especially over the past few months, um the discrimination against Asians is starting to come to the forefront. And we've had this situation where there's been a couple of mass shootings with Asian-involved businesses. Mm -hmm. um, how do y'all feel about the Asians now trying to step to the forefront and say, okay, this is racism, this is, you know, it's, it's whatever, it's considering the fact that we've been going through this for so long now? Well, they're not thinking about us. I mean, they're dealing, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're, you know, what I mean, if they realize that, wait a minute, right now we're they're only coming at us because we're Asian, right? So they're standing up saying, No, we ain't gonna have that, you know what I mean? So 
you know, more power to them. And that's their thing. Now, the thing with us, you know what I mean? Some of us have put down our Black Lives Matter sign and, and go and run over there to, to help them. That's cool. If that's what you want to do. But, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, they got to fight the fight. I'm against anybody, white, black, Chinese, anybody else, Asian, anybody, Latino that are being targeted just because they are who they are. That's corny. But the best defense that I could give anybody is to make sure my thing is strong. You know what I mean? Because if I, if I go stand next to you, I'm only just taking up space if I ain't got no coalition. Now, if the coalition of you, you ain't going to kill no more black people came to their aid, then that's one thing. We don't have a coalition. You ain't going to kill no more black people. You know what I'm saying? So we need to do that first. If we're going to be any assistance to them, you know what I'm saying? We need to first do something for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, they, you know, I didn't, I didn't see any of these Asian organizations, uh, you know, say anything about the George Floyd thing and none of this other stuff. You know what I mean? About no things, never. About no things, never. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so they'll have to excuse me. If I'm not out here, like you know, boohooing and doing press conferences on their behalf. Okay, so 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 let me play devil's advocate for a second. Then, so with that being said, um, is it our fault that we didn't do enough? Because uh-huh. this this Asian stuff is really, to me, I've only been seeing the commercials for like a month, two months, maybe. So this is kind of and and. The recent mass shootings of like the nail salons and stuff, this just happened. Right. So it, it, because it's like really, I'm not going to say it's new to them, but it's new to the national front. They're stepping up and doing what we should have done maybe years ago. We didn't have the resources to do what they're doing. That's okay. one. Okay. Because all of our resources, everything, again, it's like we've had organizations among us that have encouraged us to build infrastructure for ourselves. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I had to be part of one of those organizations, like the Nation of Islam. I've been part of the Nation of Islam since uh, 1994. Okay. And it's an organization that has always encouraged black people that what you don't build for yourself doesn't exist. And for whatever reason, um, black people much rather petition the government for what they don't have. So that's cool. You know what I'm saying? But then when it comes time to like, you know what I mean? Yeah, we're going to shut this down. The biggest asset that we have is our purchasing power. Because we don't really have any uh, organizations where we like own farmland and things of that nature, but we do have purchasing power. So when we decide to boycott something, it matters. But what ends up happening like, uh, what's that, Walmart or somebody just say, I'm going to invest all this money in black businesses or whatever, um, black women businesses. One, one of them said they're going to donate a whole bunch of money. Uh, during last year, uh, a lot of companies donated money towards uh, the Black Lives Matter organization. Like they made millions upon millions of dollars last year. People just donate money. So the point being is we're easily appeased. If somebody said, you know, yeah, we're going to donate some money to NAACP, we go see they care about black people and then we chill. So it's easy to appease us. Because if Chick-fil-A say, yeah, we're gonna give up, we're gonna give our, our free chicken sandwiches to all black people, black people be chilling. So they have enough money to appease us. It's like our thing is we don't think about divesting 
in being so dependent on other entities. You know what I'm saying? Like, why not form uh, gun clubs in our communities that will protect us? Because I'm in Pennsylvania. This is a, a, a legal carry state. So what about that? You know what I'm saying? There's well, that's where I thought you were going. I'm sorry. I'm I thought you were going there with uh, the Martin Luther King. That's where I thought you were going. Because mm -hmm. at one time he was uh, pre preaching that we should all come together. Where I know it's some in my grandmother's uh, era, it was some of them that were very affluent already. So they resented the fact that he was trying to bring us together with the white people. Yes. They respected the segregation and right. the money in the communities that they had built for themselves. Right. That's why I thought you were going earlier. Well, go ahead. The thing is, that's I mean, we can go there. That's it's like some people, because like you like you mentioned, um, Dr. King came from a community, uh, because I've been there on Auburn Street, uh, where his church was in Atlanta. Dr. King grew up in a very affluent uh, black neighborhood where black people owned everything. You know what I'm saying? And, and there was criticism from those whom he grew up with of like, well, we good. And the problem with the thing that Dr. King understood is that though certain black people were good, most black people were not good. The majority of black people in the country at the time as it is now, we're living below the poverty line. So Dr. King's ethos was, well, if the, if, the, if the least of us don't have, then the most of us don't really have. So one of the things that he wanted um, integration with was more so the aspect of uh, equal, op equal access to opportunity, primarily the school system. Um, we, Black people, were dealing with an inferior school system in the terms of its resources. So his thing is like, well, if you integrate everything, give us equal access to everything, we can rise to the given situation, which is a good theory if that in, indeed would work. But the thing is, it's not uh, segregation, separation, or integration. In 2021, we got to realize it's all of it. We do it all. You know what I mean? Yeah, get, get things put on the books that we have access to everything that they have access to. But once you get that access, access, start utilizing some of your resources to build infrastructure for yourself. So I'm not going to be depending on whether or not they create a good school for me. Give me access to public funds. I'll create a school for myself. That's what charter schools are about. Charter schools are schools that you can set up for yourself, but using public education funds to do so. You know what I mean? So King was right. If we have equal access to everything, and but then we have a build for black people mentality, the problem is we get an integrationist activity and then want to sit next to white people in the lunch counter. And the thing is, at the same time that King was saying that, Malcolm X was speaking against that because he was part of an organization. Instead of integration lunch counters, the Nation of Islam, we had our own lunch counters. Right. The Nation of Islam, we had our own schools. So we weren't trying to integrate these schools. We had great right. schools. <laughs> So the thing is, it's like, yeah, won't we just build more schools for ourselves? Won't we build more lunch counters for ourselves? I feel like we have a piece of that with um, the pandemic. Well, being able to homeschool your child. Yeah. A lot of people, that was not a positive thing right. for them. That was a burden. Right. Having to school your child at home. They yeah. didn't see the blessing of it all. Well, and it's now, a blessing now it's time to go back to school. It's a blessing if you're economic, 
economically able to do so. Resources again. Are, most people who are living below the poverty line, a lot of single um, household families, the mother is a blessing to be able to send their child to school so they can go to work. So, so then you have a stressed out situation wherein some of them economically were struggling because I work in the school system and our school had to go virtual during that pandemic. So I talked to the parents firsthand and some of the parents were stressed because look, I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Right. How am I going to I'm trying to find me some economics, right? You know what I'm saying? So for some of the parents, it was a burden. Some of the parents were working. Some of the parents were essential workers. So they was working damn near 24-7 and nobody's home with the child. So it's hard for the, you know, so it's a lot of stress factor. It goes back to your resources and your community and your, right. your, your drive for your community. You're understanding what a community is. Right, but see, the thing is, beyond, these things together. beyond the theory of that, there's the practicum of how to actually get it done. And I'm a big proponent of that. Like, I'm not big on, see, all black people, we should all just come together. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, that sounds good. But what's the step-by-step? -step? What's the thing? Like, in my particular neighborhood, like, on my block, I made it a point that I'm going to start the process of making sure that everybody on the block knows everybody on the block. You know what I mean? If there's nothing more than introducing yourself to the people that live next door to you on both sides of where you live at, then the three of y'all kind of know each other. Then you kind of influence the next person like, yo, know the person that's next door to you. And my block, it wasn't until the pandemic that all of us actually started to come together. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, we start knocking each other's door like, yo, we stuck here. We all got children. You know what I mean? Because I got an eight-year-old son. So I'm like, yo, you know what I mean? I know y'all got children in there. My son right across the, the way, y'all need to let them play with each other so they get to know each other. Then the adults got to know each other. So now that we know each other, we're looking out for each other more because we know each other. Right. So community starts very small with getting to, first of all, get to know the people in your family. How does your family operate? Does your family deal with each other? And if that's not, that's the way you start. You start with your family. Then you start with your friends. And then friends that you grew up with, do your friends that you grew up with know each other's children? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you build community. Community ain't just the people that's on your block, because sometimes you got some, some wild people on your block that you don't need to be, <laughs> you know what I mean, dealing with. But at least you know where they at. So, you know, we got to build community. But we got to understand the steps of how to build community. No one teaches us how to do that. We just say that black people need to come together. Right. Then how do I get over this nigga shit? Like, he's he's wild. How do I get over him being a wild-ass nigga down the block? I don't want to get to know him. It's hard to bring black people together when 70% of the black people are... And you haven't tried. Yeah. yeah. And we don't know how to try though. Cause sometimes right. people look at you weird. Like it's a risk for me to walk up to a teenager on my corner. I'm like, hey, what's going on, young man? How you doing? I'm just, you know, I'm Mr. E. I live right up the street. I just want you to know that, you know, if you need anything, I'm right here. The first time I did that, because that's that's how I get down. When I moved really? to Philly, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I told my wife, I said, well, let me get out here and meet the block. She's like, what? Stay in this house. She's like, you know where we at? I'm like, yeah. Mind your business. I'm like, this, exactly. And I say, it's safer for me to get a one-on-one -on -one with all these people in my neighborhood, especially the young people. Because then when a young man comes sit on my step, 
I'm like, hey, young man, how you doing? Oh, how you doing there? Um, because he know me now. So he can't just pop off fly because I already introduced myself to him. Right. So we know each other now. It ain't just like, man, fuck out of here, old head. I don't know you. Because we don't we don't like to talk to young people until we pressing up on them. <laughs> so you know you're gonna have to press on them. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna meet you first. <laughs> I'm like, hey, how you doing, man? Look, you mind not smoking that? Like I got my son out here playing, man. You know, you mind. Taking that, like, oh, I hit it first, and, and then and I tell him take it up the street. And that's a great point because <laughs> I've been in, I've been living in Sedonia for close to twenty years now, and partly because of who I am, and partly because of my son coming up in this community, I feel like I have that rapport with a good amount of the of of the young guys around here. Yeah, it's like, bro, like, even if even if I'm only known as Tyler's father. Right. Yo, that's Tyler's dad. Don't, I feel like I have that rapport where I can, I can probably come down in the middle now of a stressful situation. Right. And be like, yo, this isn't the way to handle it. Exactly. You can negotiate. I can put that input in and pray that it doesn't go. Right. The opposite way, but at least I have that ability to put that input in now. Where, as there was a time when it was like, like well, no, you who, right? You know but what I'm saying. The thing so, is, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about people acting their age. What's mm. wrong with young people right now is the adults are refusing to be adults. Right. Yeah, kids are going to be kids. Every little 16-year-old, 17-year-old boy who just starting to feel his little hormones, little muscles, is a wild little dude. That's what they do. That's a, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Now, it's supposed to be some thorough old head that slides through in a respectful but powerful way and say, hey, right, we ain't doing that right now. What? But it's a lot of us that are afraid to do that because... Right. Because we raised them. That, right. that could, be, that could be your last day. That could be your last, you know what right. I mean? Here's the thing. It's, there is, you want to do it, but you you got you to gotta use sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because back in my day, when I was a teenager, the old dudes used to come through with that energy because he knew he was backed up by all the other old dudes. Right. You know what I mean? Now, because like, you know what I mean? I ain't a big dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like 160, you know what I mean? I'm a regular small dude or whatever. So I don't go up like, yo, young, yo, yo, young, yo, y'all gotta get up. You know, I don't do all of that. I come humbly, you know what I'm saying? Knowing that I'm taking a risk. You know, it ain't no, I ain't bad, you know what I mean? I, ain't, I don't got no, you know, special fighting abilities and no shit like that. But it's yeah. like, I know that it has to happen because I know that once something goes down, it's gonna be too late for me to do that. So just like you said, you gotta establish something. I got I know I lived in enough hood neighborhoods to know that if you don't have a rapport, if they don't know who you are on some kind of level, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna have a problem later on. Cause if you don't say nothing, my thing is I gotta say something to these young cats before they sit on my steps. Because if I wait till they sit on my steps to do it, I waited too late. You know what I mean? Like summertime, I would wait. I would sit on my steps 
wait for a certain dude to walk down the block. I can see who the wild ones are. I'm like, damn, I got, I got, I got to get a face to face with this dude before it gets too late. You know what I'm saying? Dude, walk. Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, hey, what's up? That's the first time. Every time I see him, I'm gonna speak. Just you know, because that's what we got to do as neighbors. I'm training him to this is what neighbors do. So after a while, we speaking. You know what I'm saying? Then it's like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Now it's broken down because he he feel like he know me. You know what I mean? So it's like the, there are steps in it. I'm taking, I'm playing my role as an adult. Is my point. So older men, older women, got to make it their duty when they see younger men, younger women, to engage them, and they're thirsting for that engagement. You know what I'm saying? Young girls are thirsting for older women to to school them on the ways of being a woman. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like you want to get it right. That's what they're doing now. Teenagers are acting with they acting like they think adults act. So they pick up the worst parts of our habit. They pick up half of our conversations and think that's the whole conversation. You know what I mean? So young girls are picking up for their mothers like, yeah, girl, I'm still out here. I'm still fly, whatever. I still got that nigga. I'm still doing this. So girls pick up that part of the conversation and think it's about going out here playing some dude. You know what I mean? So mothers should, yeah, you can listen to WAP with your daughter. Go ahead and listen to her with her. But then you break it down. You know that ain't all that it is, though, right? You let them know that ain't all that it is. You know what I mean? Because it don't work that way. You know what I mean? You think you out here, you're going to ride his thing, and, and then he, he going to give you some money. No, sometimes you just going to ride his thing, and he going to be like, all right, shorty, uh, I think it's time for you to go. And then Let when he thinks he's going to give you money, he's going to give you $40. Is your shit worth $40? Oh, go ahead. you lucky he gives you $40. <laughs> and a Uber. That's all you can get. A ticket. Right. Right. Exactly. And let them know, and women don't tell them, like, girl, there's going to be a time when you're going to get up from that bed and be like, damn, why did I fuck that nigga? I mean, all That's women know that yeah, exactly. I said it about your father every exactly. day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all women know that situation. But how many, now here's the question. How many young girls have you prepared for that? When you see them little fast ass girls out there, how many girls you pull up like, look here, I know I ain't your mama. I don't know nothing about you, but I'm going to tell you this. It ain't going to be about that big ass and that pretty smile for the rest of your life. So you better some- use that shit while you got it. Girl, you're hitting on. I'm just joking. I'm joking. All right. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. You know, I am a pillar in any community that I reside in, work in, any of that. I'm I'm all for the youth. And I do use real realistic situations yeah. to get them to think. Because that's the most powerful thing you can teach a child is how to think. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, because my thing is, at, at a certain, when you get to a certain age, like I'm 50. So I tell the kids all the time, like, I'm getting you prophecy. I know exactly what's about to happen to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And when this, I say, when this situation happened, remember that I told you it would happen. And this is how you deal with it. You know what I'm saying? And then once that happened, they go, yo, oh, hey, what you said happened. You know what I mean? So now they know you're a source of inf- information and inspiration. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, 
Sounds we gotta like, do our job, brother. That's sounds like me talking to my son who thinks at 22 he knows it all. But yeah. anyway, did you know it all at 22? And telling at 22, you thought you knew it all. You knew it all at 22. Even if you didn't think that, even if you didn't think that, tell him that anyway. And you had a whole baby. Yeah, I had a whole baby. Whole baby at 22? Hell no, I had no baby at 22. I did. You ain't had no baby at 22. You was late. Yeah, I was married by 22. Most anyway. people, yep. Most people are married with baby. Well, I wasn't married or did I have a baby. No, I was just getting back to Baltimore at 22, so I know I didn't have a but anyway, because we can this is another conversation that can yeah, hold up a conversation. Leave that thing life alone. Um Peter Ford MC twenty twenty one. What's the rest of the plans for the year? Well, like I said, we just launched the uh the record label and it's doing uh surprisingly much greater than I thought it would. I thought we had to build a demand for it, but people responding well to the spoken word content as well as the music, they're buying the music, because we ain't streaming this music, we're selling it. Wow, okay. Yeah, and people are buying it. So is so, it like original tracks that are going yeah. along with the spoken word? Absolutely, I'm a musician. You know okay. What I'm saying? So, matter of fact, we're in a lab right now. This is the lab. This is where, we, this is where all the magic happens at. This where all, all the lyrics go down. Like, there go my mic. There go my mic. Yeah, I saw so, it. So we be in here, like, you know, this this is the, he's the no to her. <laughs> and is the label solely for spoken word? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's real soul records. Um, is and, it any uh, other person? I'm not saying identified it, who it is, but I'm just trying to see how this is a niche for you. Does this happen? Is it a lot of spoken word only labels? Uh, not that I know of. I didn't think so. Okay. Not that I know of. And my thing is, like, I've been doing spoken word recording since the 90s. I produced, uh, you know, Rebecca DuPont's first CD, Love the Post. There's a lot of uh, spoken word artists that I've, I've done a lot of production work for spoken word artists since the 90s. And, um, you know, I've had all kinds of producers producing stuff for me as well as me doing a lot of production. So there's been a lot of recordings. And in all the spoken word venues that I performed it over the years, most of the artists, they have uh, studio recordings. So I don't know why no one didn't think it was a good idea to put together a record label. Right. Um, you know, everybody's an independent artist, but we put together a record label. So, and it's doing very well. Because people like the centralized location of like, oh, I can go here and get some dope spoken word artists. So people like that part. So we're providing that. Definitely and, unique. Yeah. And it's good stuff. And I need, need to check it out. Let me so, check it out. As, as I'm on the website now, um, I'm saying you have a new release. Is, is this Lady Sarcasm? This is yeah. the... Yeah, it's my wife right there. I love the spelling of sarcasm. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. She spelled it all over the place. But yeah. So yeah, you know, her release is there. The videos, you know, you see the music videos on there. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work on that, um, on, on there. It's a lot of good work. So, so I mean, so, I mean if, if anybody was interested in working with you, on yeah, real they, they, they can connect with us via the website. Um, and it, the thing is, it's like, you know, like we like Def Jam with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's not like, you know what I mean? Uh, 
we're, we're looking for particular things. So, you know, it's not that just because you do spoken word, we're going to put you out and all that kind of stuff. We're so, what, for, so what are you looking for? We're looking for very uh, seasoned artists. You know what I mean? Because, you know, because one bag, we, we don't put out no bad product. And just because you do poetry doesn't mean your product is good. Um, so we're looking so for. So what makes you season? Your years in the game, or how many places you performed? No, What's the definition? It's, what? Trust me, it's like you know, I I can tell a seasoned artist, someone that has command over what it is that they do. You know what I mean? They're good. They're you know, it's stage performance. It's it's the writing. It's the cadence. It's it's like you know, you know the difference between uh, Young MC and DMX, right? <laughs> You know what I mean? So, Open I, I do know the caliber of DMX. I don't know if I even know who Young MC is. What about Vanilla Ice? Ice Ice Baby? Yeah. That's my hair. Yeah. Right. So is Vanilla Ice as good as DMX? Oh, no. Right. So we're trying to sign um, DMX type folk. We don't want no Vanilla Ice. So if DMX and Vanilla Ice came in, both of them auditioning to be part of your record label, which one are you going to sign? DMX and Vanilla Ice? So in, other words, so in other words, if me and Black Chakra came to the label tomorrow, Woo! he's probably going to sign Black Chakra because that dude is a beast. Yeah. And he's going to look so at like on the circuits, On the circuits, you have people that's on the circuits. Then you might have like this year's hottest new blah, blah, blah. But that mm -hmm. doesn't make them season. Mm -hmm. Just because they hot and they're trending, right. it doesn't make them season. Right. For my years, you know, I mean, again, it's like I've been doing this since 1991, so that's 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 30 years. <laughs> so as as a 30 year artist myself, I can tell a difference between, uh, you know, if I heard DMX one time, I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy got the goods. You know what I'm saying? You you know who got the goods, right? And most of the artists that you know, what I mean, like Lady Sarcasm. Uh, King Shice, these are a couple of other artists that's on the label. They're very good at what they're doing. So it's not necessarily how long you've been doing it, it's, but it's how strong you can do it. I got you. You know, so. She was all over the world tonight. Yeah, man, we did it all. But I love this because it's, it's a real, organic, authentic conversation. And you never know where these kind of conversations are going to go because there's so much to talk about outside mm -hmm. of just what he does. Right, he and you're smart as well as talented. Right. I respect your intellect. You're you're Thank you're you. conscious there as well. So you, you are in touch with worldly events and community is one of my real strong points. The fact that you're a teacher, I know what the sacrifice. Yet the rewards could be in that position. So I thank you for your part of service with that, definitely. You're molding minds out there. So that's God a big responsibility. And God bless you because I can never be. Like, I know that that wasn't what I was put on this earth to be, bro. I didn't think <laughs> so either, but it's necessary, brother. I'm in there. Yeah, yeah I, so, I, so, I definitely salute that. Um. Well, first of all, I appreciate you hanging out with us tonight, bro. We've gone far beyond a two-hour point at yes. right now. Yeah. Um, but this has been a long time coming, man. I've I've been following you, you know, for a minute. And um, like I told Akil, bro, like I had to get you up here at some point just to talk about everything that you've been doing, if nothing more than what you've been doing since you left Baltimore and went to Philly. 
Mm-hmm. There was a whole history of you before that that I wanted the people to get to know. So I, I thank you for, for coming up and sharing that. Um, just let people know how they can follow you, how they can keep up with you. Yeah, well, you know, on Instagram and everything, it's at E the Poet MC. That's E T H E P O E T M C. All one word. Yeah, E the Poet MC. Uh, Facebook is is actually spelled a little differently. The MC is E M C E E. So it's E T H E P O E T E M C E E. You know. So, Why yeah. is he, it's difficult, bro. It's M C. The letters on one and E M C. No. Nah, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little difficult, right? Because one is the original spelling. The spelling is E-N-C-E-E. But on Instagram, I just wanted to shorten it for people. Yeah. But, you know, do your due diligence. You'll find me. But the best way to contact me is via the website. That's Grill Soul Records. And it's G-I-O-T. The T is silent in Grill. Because it's French. And I don't know how you got Grill in my family. I don't know how you got this record spinning on the on the website, but that's 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 dope right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's equalizer going like this. That's dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Trying to get a little something. You know what I mean? We doing it. It's a label, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely appreciate you, bro. I mean, this this as well. I feel like it's been almost fifteen years in the making, man. So I'm glad that we finally had a chance to connect. Um. And again, whenever you're whenever you're up this way, whenever you got stuff going on up in Baltimore, man, just just let us know, and we'll definitely come out and support. Good enough, good enough. Definitely come out and support. Shout out to my man Akil Mazan. He's the man that, that put this all together to make sure that we was. Yeah, shout out to Akil. That's the ambassador to the scene right yeah, there. That's, that's my dude right there, man. He, he keeps the whole scene connected. As a matter of fact, I'll probably see him tomorrow morning when I'm um, heading to my job, and I'll okay. stop past his job. But um. Yeah, bro, like, E, like, I, I thank you, bro, because like I said earlier, like, that stuff that you were doing with the, the early Torchlight stuff, that was my introduction into the art stuff that was going on in the city that I had absolutely no idea about. Okay. And that led, to me, yeah. Yeah, that led to me doing the Baltimore Flavor Radio thing and then the True School Flavor stuff with uh, Wombat. That led to all of that, bro, because I had no idea. And once I once I got in tune to everything that was going on, and I realized that how much dopeness we had, it was it was mind blowing for me, bro, because I had no idea. And and I'm, I'm and I'm a person that's been born and raised here. Yeah, I'm, I'm born and raised in Baltimore. I've been here since 1969 except for four years that i was away going to different schools you know what i'm saying so through through what you were doing with torchlight i was introduced to a whole different environment wow and then it just but i just appreciate you man and and anytime you need to come back and talk to us and you know allow us to promote whatever you got going on bro we're always here definitely absolutely i'll I'll reach out yeah, definitely. No doubt. I appreciate you, man. So with that being said, man, we're going to go ahead and shut it down for the night. No, we're not. Oh, go ahead, Nina. E. Yeah. <laughs> On behalf of Mr. Antoine and Nina, the original party girl, 
I thought of that when you were talking about people acting their age. So I don't know at what point do I not have to be the original party girl, but it's still working. So I'm going to still roll with it. We thank you. You can be growing the party. You're going to be the original party girl when you're 90. So because I would have been the original one. That's why it still makes sense. But I was going to move the party. And start your own political party. You be the original party girl. Oh, another party. How about OPG Productions? Come on now. Start your own political party. And you're a piece of it. Because we was having a whole conversation without using all the words. So I get it. Um, we want to see. 2024. Shut your damn mouth. What? What for 2024? That's the next, no, or is it 2022? Whenever we get to vote for mayor again, whenever. We're going to have a totally different voting procedure and process if I get my hands on it, okay? Um, we just want to thank you sincerely for joining us tonight in a world so filled with so many things. You took the time out to come chill and share your life with us. Um, we definitely are better people for knowing about what you do in your space with your people. We wish you all the success on your new record label. Um, we wish you success and joy with your family and everybody you come in contact with. I think you got a bright light that's meant to share with many. On behalf of Access Granted, we thank you for granting us access. Appreciate you. I'll at you. But yo, definitely make sure you give us a heads up when you, the next time you're doing something here in the city. I sure will. He's not that far away. Right. No, that's, right down the street. In fact, we're supposed to be going up that way soon, Nina, so we might as well just, yeah. Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> All right, we appreciate you, bro. All right, now. Peace. Right. See ya. Oh, shoot. I got to change some stuff. There we go. Bam. Nina. Hello. Again, I want to uh, give you a shout out for your transparency on Lakia's show. And any show I go on, thank you. Show that you go on, yeah. <laughs> um, that show was amazing, actually. That that show was, shout out to Lakia, man. She, that, that show was amazing. And a great group of women. Great group really, of women yeah. that were very, very, very strong. I knew them before we joined that conversation. That's uh, why it was like awesome for me without even talking before I even got there because they were only, some strong doers. I only knew you and Lakia until I knew Alma too. And now I'm, yeah. So you should hear Alma and Mia sing. Both of them are singers. And they are all advocates for our communities. Alma's very big. In, in the scene of community and um, the empowerment of black women. She's very, she's a, a, in the background of a lot of stuff. We're kind of similar. So it was nice. That was and I thank nice. Lakia for giving us all a chance to come on and share that with us. We had fun. It made me start looking at something else. Like my relationship with women. I always end up with men as business partners and stuff. I don't really do things with females. So it was refreshing. That was that was that was dope. That was dope. Um, wherever that may go, salute to you. Oh, your well, podcast, well. your podcast, your podcast. First week of May, party peeps in a pod. 
we're talking about all kinds of events. The world's opening back up. So I want to be one of the, the main platforms that shares all kinds of events and parties in the Baltimore, maybe the DMV area. It's going to be all kinds of angles. Like the way you said something about the Twin Towers on the anniversary. And back then they came up with like all kinds of emergency and security type protocols because that happened. Um, now with uh, the pandemic and COVID, people have like, these ways of managing things, they're overlooking at some stuff and they're underlooking at other stuff. So it's going to be interesting how we go back out safely and play. That is going to be really interesting. You ever seen somebody focusing on COVID and they like, you got to take your temperature every 12 minutes, but they've never washed the thermometer, you know? So it's all kinds of stuff that they trying to do, but then they're not doing this part over here, you know? So that's where it gets tricky, and that's what I'm going to be watching for. And if I am hosting an event, you can be sure that that COVID checklist is definitely in effect. So with that being said, I got my first vaccine yesterday. How you feel about that? Ain't <laughs> <laughs> but, but look. First of all, first of all, I already knew that you were going to get the vaccine. I already knew you were going to do it. Okay. And I think that you have the right to do whatever you want to do. That's your right. I want to say I have the right to do whatever I want to do or don't want to do. So I feel like like when my mother got her shot, I was like, look, let's make a deal. You can't ostracize me from not getting one, and I won't give you a hard time for getting one because we have rights. That don't mean I ain't watching these people that jumped out there and got that shot. Y'all my crash dummies. I'm sorry. Y'all are the testers. So I just want to make sure that you know how you all are progressing and I wish you the best and I love you brother I, I, I respect that totally um my son my wife and I we got our vaccines the first shot yesterday um and have any of you ever had covid no gotcha no. and um I I don't plan to get covid so I, from my understanding, that's not what the shot says. It doesn't say that you're not going to get it. No, it, it definitely does not say that. I, I agree with you 10,050% with that. But my thing is, um, when I think about the stuff that people put in their bodies overall, I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm not talking about us. But when I think about the stuff that we put in our bodies, um, when you do your research and you understand that everything is in the government conspiracy, the views expressed by Mr. Antoine, um, I'm okay with taking my chances with getting both shots of the COVID, not that Johnson and Johnson stuff because- Because you, they told you about it. No, because these are the people that- Watch 15 million shots. No, these are the people that when y'all were putting that baby powder down on y'all stuff, it was giving y'all cancer. So did you hear about the, I think it was 4.5 million shots they messed up, Johnson & Johnson? Yes. Here in Baltimore. That's why I got the Moderna shot. Okay. That's why well, I got was, the Moderna shots. Okay, so just because we in this conversation, no judgment anywhere, if you research all of those people that may, if you research 
all of them, all three of them, and add up the number of people they killed, then that might change nobody's mind. Sure. We all have different reasons of why we do things. I feel like the COVID, everybody's sentence starts off with, I'm getting a shot because I'm scared of blank. No, that's not why I got the shot. Okay. I got the shot because I know that in order for me to do certain things in the future, you have to be vaccinated. Travel. Travel. Is a yeah. great excuse. Your yeah. job may be a great excuse. And I feel like that's how strongly I feel against it. Knowing that I might not be able to travel, I might not be able to be on the grid, that's harder. But I feel that strongly about it, that those things don't matter to me. And I have kind of set my life up for certain kinds of emergencies. It depends on how long they last or whatever. But if you're looking in the future, it's going to be a lot more than that that's happening. Depends on how you're looking. I don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist to never have taken a vaccine because you've always known what was in vaccines. That's not a conspiracy theorist. That's you living a certain way. I think it's harder to live healthier, to eat fruits and vegetables. It costs more and it's harder to do that. But once you get back to the basics, your body is built to deal with anything. But that's hard work. Because we don't know who we are. I can get a sore a cut on my arm today, down to the bone, and in four days, it can be healed. My body is built to do that. Mm. Mm. Is this a whole nother show? It's a whole nother show. That's okay. It's a whole nother show. Um, okay. Salute to you if you did. Salute to you if you didn't. Salute because um, you have the right to choose. That's what I'm saluting. You got the right to choose. And at the end of the day, that's the bottom line. You have a right to right. choose. You have the right to choose. I'm choosing to get and salute to those who choose not to. I feel like it's a little different because, like, that's why I asked you, did any of you have COVID? Like, people that never had COVID are getting the shot. Is that more of them or people that already had it? That's what makes it a little different for me. If you never got it, what? what why do you think you're going to get it? Why, why wouldn't you think you were going to get it? It's possible. Okay, okay, it depends on my thing. I got a couple of things. I'm definitely a naturalist. I believe in the earth and its powers and its healing. And every medicine you need is grown on the earth. If you got to make it a chemical, it's a little different for me. But I also come from a Christian faith. If my faith is my faith, I don't give a what it is. My faith is my faith. So I got two good things. Ain't that? Yes. I'm going to go upstairs to my wife. And hold her in your arms. That's right, because we don't know what life is. We all right. We our date of expiration was already chosen for us. It's just how you gonna go, and that's where the celebration technician comes in effect. I treat like like every day is the last day, so it doesn't matter what's coming out here. I have if tomorrow never comes, I live the yesterday that most people would be in amazement of. You gotta live while you live it. That is the bottom line. And with that being said, we'll be back next Thursday. We'll be back next Thursday. 
we'll be back next Thursday. Oh, we coming yes. back. Okay, we'll be back next Thursday at eight o'clock with our guest. Yeah, with our guest. I don't know. I don't know. Guess who our guest is? Why you get all sad and shit when we start talking about the vaccine? I didn't get sad at all. Yes, you did. Now you all quiet and stuff. Oh, I was letting you. I'm on my way over to your house, Sedonia. You come to my house if you want to. I got two pistols upstairs waiting for you. I because love you, you have the right to bear arms. <laughs> Nina. What does that give me the right to do? Nina, that gives you the right to call my house and get shot. That's what it gives you the right if to do. If you see I'm coming, bro, that's if you oh. see me coming. But um, Did you try to shoot me on the live? Oh. At all. Um, shout out to everybody that tuned in on Facebook Live and on YouTube. We love you. We appreciate you. We have some more things coming. Nina, I got, oh my gosh, I got one of the members of Oaktown 357 coming. Is that MC Hammer, people? Yes. Okay. Don't have, what's, their, what's their name? Supersonic. I got them. Supersonic. Uh huh. Yeah, we got them coming. Um, and I'll leave it at that. I love you guys. We appreciate you. We thank you for tuning in. Um, Nina, how can they find you? You can find me in the club. Um, Google all <laughs> social media and all social media platforms. Nina, the original party girl, and in a minute, just in the blink of an eye, when this world opened just a little bit more, I'm getting booked, booked, booked now, then I'll be know, all over the place. I don't know where you are because that looks like you're in a gym, but yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. I love you. And that's the end of this. Love you. See ya. Next Thursday at 8 o'clock. Next Thursday at 8 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.